0: Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What's up? Happy Friday. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast, an absolutely loaded Friday show for you. We've got a legendary interview with Travis Johnson, former Ole Miss defensive back, author of one of the more famous plays in Ole Miss history, even though the game came in a loss, the... 2003 pick six to open the game against lsu that decided the west matt mox first pass still to this day as the loudest i've ever heard vaude hemingway i think probably most of you over the age of 25 maybe 30 i don't know i was right around I'm 26 and i think i was like eight or nine for that game but i think most of you older guys that have been and girls sorry older people that have been around uh Oh we'll Miss a while, and maybe we're at that game. Probably could agree that may be the loudest, even pre-renovation. It was like a, a, someone shot someone out of a cannon for about forty-five seconds there. So I thought it was going to be mostly about that play and kind of how his career played out after that. But then I discovered he played for Ed Orgeron for a year. I actually kind of knew that. I just threw out a throwaway question uh, about it, and it led to just some electric commentary on the infamous shirts-off meeting. Uh, He has a story in there about how the chancellor and the AD had to come stop practice. Ed was making them hit so much that you're just sending truckloads of dudes to the hospital. Uh, Just some wild, wild stuff. So a great interview for Travis Johnson. I really appreciate his time. I'm glad I was able to track him down for that. Got an LSU preview with Weldon after that. And then Greg's picks at the end. It's a fantastic Friday show. I dropped the ball on the Skybox end of it. Skybox usually rolls with us with our picks uh, for college. Then gives some free plays out. I... Did not send them the games in time. I got caught up with some stuff yesterday at work. And then I left my uh, notebook that has our records on it. That'd be me and Greg's and then Skybox's uh, at work. So I really just dropped the ball on it. Greg and I hopped on to make some picks real quickly. I will I will put Skybox's picks in the newsletter. So if you want Skybox's winners on college, uh, go to rippywrites.substack.com and just subscribe to that and you can get Skybox's picks for the week. But uh, I'll be better about that next week, giving them a little more heads up. That was certainly on me, definitely not on Skybox. But you need to go check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com, the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox matrix interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Box to the top of the handicapping industry. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether that's month-long, week-long, go all-sports, sports-centric, MLB playoffs heating up. Crushing it on college football. They had plus four unit weekend last weekend, destroying it on NASCAR. I think they're up like 20, 23 and a half, 24 units over the last two weekends and riding out a great year on the NFL. Kind of rode the wave to 500 last week, but uh, have a 9 0 and 7 0, 9 1, 7 0 week on the NFL card uh, pelted on their wall so far this season. Check them out, SkyboxSportsPicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY. You get 20% off any purchase. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg needs no introduction. He's on the picks on the back end on that. Go check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. Oxford is so lucky to have it. Let's get rolling. Here is Travis Johnson. All right, we now welcome on an incredibly special guest. I really am incredibly excited to talk to Travis Johnson, author of one of the most famous plays in Old Miss history, Uh, pick six off Matt Mock in 2003. Uh, Ole Miss didn't win that game. They lost 17-14, but that was the biggest game Ole Miss has played in 40-something years when he intercepted that pass. I I was telling him right before we just started recording That's the loudest I've ever heard that place. Um, I just kind of want to reminisce on that, see what you've been up to since. How are you, man? I appreciate you joining us.
2: Yeah, I've been good, man. Just living life just off.
1: Absolutely, and Look, there's no. <laughs> we'll make no bones about it. We'll just get right into it. That 2003 year was, I think, important for the Ole Miss football program for a lot of reasons because they hadn't been that level of relevant to where you guys went in quite a long time. And me, at 26 years old, I grew up going to games. My parents were big Ole Miss people. You know, I was eight, nine years old at the time, and that was one of the first Ole Miss you know memories I had. I mean, that was the most memorable season, honestly. You know, aside from a couple of freeze years that Ole Miss has had since and but it started right. out weird you guys started out two and two you lost to Memphis you lost to lot tech and then you go to the swamp and you win and you go on this ridiculous run leading up to the LSU game I guess we'll just start there what was kind of the if you can think back what was kind of the vibe around that team Eli's senior year in 2003 because I know it didn't start the way you guys wanted but man ended up being <laughs> special what was it like going into the year? No,
2: it didn't. Uh, that year, you know, we had a lot of guys uh, getting plugged in positions that they hadn't really played, you know, hadn't been on the field much. And and it took us a while, you know, just to get into, you know, playing together. And I could say around by like the fourth game, we kind of got the clicking and, you know, and went on from there. So I think it was a great year for us, but losing that game it still hunts me to this day.
1: I can imagine, I'm sure, like, as people are listening to this, you're not alone on that one. But did you guys know, like, I I don't, and again, I was young at this time, as I keep saying, so I didn't have, like, the, I guess, perspective I had now. But did you guys, like, think you were going to be that good? Because you were coming off a pretty good year. You could kind of see Eli had, you know, it's shown flashes in his junior year of, like, okay, this guy could take over a game at any point. Um, particularly with the way quarterbacks were used that, Ben, like whatever version of that is now. Did you guys think going into the year realistically you had something like that kind of run you had from October on in you? Or did you – like what was yeah. the expectation that you guys had in that locker room?
2: Man, we every, we just felt like we could win every game. You know, once you know, – doing the summer, the work we were putting in, we just felt like, you know, we can go out there and compete against anybody. And you know, like the first couple games, it took us a minute to just start clicking together and learning each other, you know, playing with each other because we had a lot of freshmen, sophomores getting in the game early, playing with the few seniors we did have. And you know, it took us a while to start clicking, but we felt like we could win every game we played.
1: You were a sophomore, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. You had played pretty much from the time you got on campus. I don't remember right. you know, what your role was in 02, but kind of get take me to your frame of mind entering the 2003 season. Clearly you knew you were going to have a role. Did you know you were going to be a starter? What was your mindset heading that uh, season individually?
2: Well, put it like this uh... – I can go back to, like, say, my freshman year. You know, I redshirted my first year. Then my uh, freshman year, I kind of didn't think I was going to get in much because we had a lot of seniors, and we had uh, a couple guys that was pretty good. And I wasn't looking to get in, and Coach uh, ended up putting me in my first game against uh, Florida. And that was uh, – I think that's Rich Grossman when they, they had him at the yeah. time. Yeah. and. From then on, I think I kind of got my confidence of playing them early games against hard teams, and I think that kind of went on into my sophomore year. You know, going into the summer, I felt like I could compete with any guy that was in front of me. I felt like, you know, there was a senior, you know, kind of, you know, if you're a senior, you kind of got that coaches know you more, and they kind of tend to put you out there quicker than they would somebody They hadn't been on the field much, and I had to work my way up.
1: No, that certainly makes sense. It's funny, as soon as you said that, talking about 2002 and that Florida game, I was talking about how this being one of my first memories of going to games. That 2002 Florida game might have actually been one of the first conscious ones I had. You guys beat Rex Grossman in 2002. You mentioned that's the first game you were really playing. Uh, That's a hell of an introduction to college football. What do you remember about that day? Because if I'm not mistaken. They stormed the field. That was a uh, that was a huge deal back then, uh, and still kind of lives on to this day. What do you remember about that day beating Rex Grossman? What, that was kind of the uh, Eddie Strong game, if I remember correctly.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh yeah, Eddie. Eddie had a good game, you know. But I think the secondary really won that game. Yeah. Uh, I think we uh ended up probably getting like three or four picks against uh Rich Grossman, and that was uh my first game. I got my first pick against Rick's That game.
1: That's a pretty solid claim to fame. What do you remember? You're a red shirt freshman at that point. What is the uh, what is the post game like? Are you lingering on the field? Or are they getting y'all out of there? I kind of forget how that used to work. I'm –
2: like that game, I, I wasn't even starting that game. Coach ended up putting me in. And he just threw me in because of, uh I think I had a senior in front of me and he wasn't do he wasn't doing too well. I think he was holding uh Taylor Jacobs. And my first play out there, all I could think about me, you know, growing up really playing, playing on a video game and stuff like that. So I'm like, man, I gotta go against this guy now.
1: Right. And, um, <laughs> uh,
2: I think the uh, I think the first play that ran against me was a uh, hitch and go. I bid on it, <laughs> but Rich Brown overthrew him in the end zone, and I was uh, I was nervous. I was happy, and uh, so the next play, coach called a uh, cover two. So I kind of made Rich think I was in a cover three look, and uh, and jumped to the flats before he said hook. and he threw it right to me, and that was my first pick of that game. And I think Matt Grew ended up getting two more after
1: that. That's uh, that's crazy because you mentioned that like, that's a that's a evil way to like start your college career, right? You go in, you're kind of trying to get your bearings. It's a hitch and go. He overthrows it. What is like the what was like the emotional swing like from for the lack of a better phrase like oh shit we dodged a bullet there to picking off Rex Grossman in the matter of about twenty minutes tops.
2: Oh yeah, that that gave us a lot of confidence because after that play, after he overthrew him, you know, I had to take a deep breath. I was kind of nervous, you know. I'm out there. I was like, man, what we're gonna do? Is coach gonna jack me out the game for getting beat? But he didn't. He didn't jack me out. So, you know, I kind of got my confidence up. You know, we had been working on it all week. So I'm like, man, calm down. And you know, Rex kind of started making mistakes, and you no, know, it was that. You know, ended up, you know, towards the end of the game. It was kind of surprise. It was a surprising feeling, you know what I'm saying, to beat Florida because I think they were number three in the country then.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. You, uh, yeah. so you guys kind of hit a little bit of lull later in that season, but you win your last two games. You beat Nebraska in the Independence Bowl or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. So you get in the 2003 yeah, yeah. season, you know, start off two and two. And it, there's really actually some weird, like, image, like, uh, symmetry between a couple of Ole Miss teams that ended up being very good where they kind of kick-started their season at Florida in Gainesville, which is kind of bizarre because Ole Miss doesn't play down there often. But if, what I'm thinking of is you guys and then the 2018 team with Jevin Steed goes down there and wins with Tim Tebow, and that kind of sets them off on a run. You guys had survived to Kentucky the week before. What do you remember going down? I'm pretty sure Chris Leak was the starting quarterback there. What do you remember going into that week, into that game, uh, against Florida. You guys lose, a, what is that, a co- pretty close game, 20-17 to 17 or something. No, no, y'all won 20-17. No, nah, we won. won. Yeah, we no, won, sorry. 20. I was looking at the wrong uh, schedule on there. You guys go yeah. and win for a second year. What do you remember about that going into the game? Did you guys think you were going to win based off last year? What were your kind of thoughts going into that one?
2: Yeah, we, we felt like beating them the year before that we could go down there and win. The only thing we were worried about was the crowd. You know, we knew it was going to be real loud and we knew it was going to be hard to make checks and calls and stuff like that. So that was really the only thing we were really worried about. We weren't really worried about their receivers beating us or nothing like that, you know. And I, we feel like uh, Chris, you know, he made a lot of mistakes, you know, like the, I think maybe the week before, uh, some we were watching film and, you know, we kind of went down there with confidence.
1: So you'll win that game. That seems to really kickstart the year. You kick the hell out of Arkansas State. And then you really kind of go on this run where you beat Alabama pretty bad, ranked Arkansas team that was pretty good that year under Houston Nutt, ironically enough. South Carolina, go to Auburn, you pull out that game. What is the week like heading up into this LSU game? Because, I'm again, I've been around Ole Miss football for quite a while. And even in the freeze years, I am not 100% positive there was a lead up to that game like anything else because it was in the second to last week of the season, Mississippi state was terrible that year. That was the end of Jackie Sherrill. Like pretty much you knew the winner of that game was going to Atlanta. What do you remember just as a 20 year old or 19 year old college athlete trying to stay focused or just kind of trying to keep, stay grounded that week of that game? Cause if I remember correctly, and then of course this is pre-social media, I imagine the hype going into that had to be like unlike you had anything you'd experienced at that point in your career.
2: Yeah, it was a yeah, it was a, a amazing feeling. You know, we knew if we beat them practically we were going to the SEC championship. And, you know, going into the week, we already knew it was a hard task playing against them because they were pretty loaded on offense and they had a pretty good defense that year too. Uh And we knew that we couldn't make no mistakes against them. They had good receivers. They had good running backs. And uh, just leading up to the week, we kind of know just went over our plays on what what we thought they was going to run. And I think they ran mostly what we went over. They ran mostly what went over. What we heard it in the end, I think it was depth. We didn't have enough depth for them. And that was, that was pretty much our whole season, having depth guys to come in when guys get tired. And that's what we lost mostly depth from the 2000 and, uh, two, two, 2002 year.
1: You go into that game, Ole Miss points three and out, and, you know, your famous play happens on the first play. Just, hell, take me through. You take in the field. What happens? You mentioned right before we started recording, like it, they did exactly what you thought they were going to do with mock on the first play. Take me through that thing, start to finish.
2: Um, we had went over that play probably, man, a hundred times because down in that area, coming out the end zone, they mostly run it out of a motion set. And and that game, I think I was holding Michael Clay in that game. Yeah. And uh. Yeah, and they run it. They run a lot. They run a lot of sweep out of it, and they run a pass out of it. And when he went in motion, I already knew what the play was anyway. So I feel like I'm going to jump it, or he going to beat me on a double move. And ended up Matt threw it right to me before he even made his break.
1: So, th- th- that's interesting you mentioned that. That kid – so, that was not supposed to be where the ball was thrown, right? Because when no. you look at it on the naked eye and just watching it in real time, it looks like he sailed it past him. But you're you're saying that that kid was supposed to go back outside and you know exactly what he was doing and the guy just threw it at the wrong time?
2: Right, right. So. Like he kind of – yeah. And I didn't think he was going to throw it because I kind of broke on it before he even threw it.
1: So, it, honestly, the way the ball's thrown – and it's funny going back on YouTube and watching some of these, like, older games, you can still see – like, I mean, it's still pretty clear, like, you, particularly with the view with the CBS camera. Like, it would almost been more of a shock if you hadn't caught it. Like, it was one of those right in the bread basket things where all of a sudden you're running up to jump that route and all of a sudden the ball's in your lap. What do you remember about, like, how quickly the ball got to you?
2: Oh, it got to me pretty quick, but – uh you know, I, I I didn't think I was gonna drop it. You know, I played receiver in high school, so I, my hands weren't too bad as a DB. You know, they say DBs can't catch really. That's why they played defensive back. Right. But my hand went, my hand went too bad. But it got up on me pretty close because I wasn't thinking he was gonna throw it that quick. Right. So I thought he, I really I thought he seen me, but yeah. I guess not. And he just threw it anyway.
1: You walk it into the end zone. I mean, once you're kind of have a firm handle on the ball, you mentioned it gets past, it gets on you pretty quickly. It's a pretty easy stroll to the end zone. Again, it's kind of like, I mean, this is pretty much any old Miss fan that I would say is above the age of about 25, 26 years old. I think right at the age I am would tell you that's the loudest they've ever heard that stadium. I still contend that to this day, even oh, yeah. with the renovations and all of that. When you walk that thing into the end zone, what do you remember about what happened kind of after that? Because I will swear to this day, for about 45 seconds, it sounded like there was like a jet engine or something taking off. I mean, it really was kind of insane for man, the size of that it, place yeah, that it,
2: time. Was, it, was, it was real, it was real, real loud. I, man, I'm talking about like after the interception, I just feel like, man, I said, well, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. You know, I just had that feeling, you know, because the crowd was in the game and, you know, we – we, we prepared our week for them and we kind of knew what they was going to run. We were just hoping our offense got out there, you know, put us some points on the board. And, you know, and it was a back-and-forth game, all game. I think it went down to, like, maybe the last play they scored on us, their last drive, I believe.
1: Yeah, they did. And then Eli kind of trips over his lineman, which is the most anticlimactic way to end an awesome game. <laughs> How do you bring yourself back down from something like that? Because I imagine – you know i'm just putting myself in your shoes for a second after something like that happens i would be ready to go like headbutt some cinder block wall or something like at that point you still have about like 53 and a half minutes of a game to actually more than that about 56 and a half minutes to play how do you bring yourself back down after that what do you remember about the rest of the game after a play like that oh
2: you know i did it it was a couple plays i could have. i feel like i could have made could have changed the game too because I had another chance of picking Matt off uh, on a, a dig route, and I did drop it. It hit me right in the bread basket, and I did drop it. And uh, I kind of think to this day, I'm like, if I would have made that play, what if this would have happened? What if this would have happened? So, you know, just going in, you know, the rest of the game, you know, we kind of settled down on ties, and we kind of gave. And I think towards the end of the game, we gave up a big play on defense that really hurt us in the end.
1: Right. And so you guys, so that game happens and, you know, you, I mean, you had a kicker that was nominated as a Groza finalist and he misses a couple of kicks and just the way that game played out kind of stunk. But what do you, like, what do you, so the emotions after that game, it's an emotionally draining game. You guys played well enough to win. You don't win. I thought actually one of the more impressive things you guys did and I know state wasn't very good. But you guys went and kicked their ass in the rain five days later, because if I'm not mistaken, that game's on Thanksgiving night. Kind of take me through the the process of processing the emotions of losing that game and having to go get prepared for another one on a short week. I imagine that was pretty hard, but I always thought that kind of spoke a little bit to the character of that team to where you guys kind of got back on the horse and really kind of pounded Mississippi State when if there was ever an excuse for a letdown, you're going to Starkville, it's raining, it's a short week like that would have been kind of the perfect letdown game but you guys crushed them. What was that like?
2: Oh yeah, that was uh you know we had to get back up after the LSU game but I I, I kind of put that on our seniors. We had some great seniors that year and uh they kind of, you know, took it up on themselves, you know, to get us back right, you know what I'm saying? As a you know as a group and we kind of went from there and uh preparing for Mississippi State. And I'm from Mississippi. And you know, that game is one of the most important of the year. So you know you can't lose to your rivalry anyway, because most of the guys you know is on that team too. You know, I knew some of them guys from high school that I played against. And I just feel like, you know, that's the game, that's one game you can't lose. And we felt like that every year, no matter if we lost almost every game, we weren't gonna lose to Mississippi State if we could.
1: What uh did when you made that play? And did you think it would like, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because obviously you guys are pre social media, but even in a loss that ended up being one of the more famous plays, you know, in the last three, four decades of Ole Miss football. I mean, I think a lot of people, there's a reason that the re, CBS replay has about two, 3 million views on it. And I don't think it's because of LSU coming out and winning that game. I think a lot of people go back and look for that interception in the moment, I know as like a 19-year-old kid or 20, however old you were at the time, you're probably not thinking, well, I just made a play that probably will live on for a long time, but did you know in the moment the gravity of what had happened that day and how has that kind of lived on? Like, do you still get people that kind of remember and ask you about that play? What's that been like, you know, in the 20-something or the 18-something years since?
2: Yeah, I get asked about that a lot though. You know, people see me, they, they bring up that play. They bring up a few plays, you know, I made, but mostly they bring up the LSU game. And you know, that was one of them games because that could have changed us, you know, our whole season. Right. Yeah. You know, we win that game, no telling what happened. You know, we go to the SEC championship game, you know, if we win that game, you never know what bowl game we might end up in. So, you know, that was a, a game-changing game and that play you know it started off to be good for us but throughout that game you know we just didn't make the plays we supposed to make to win it
1: do you i, I know it, that you guys wanted to win that game and you mentioned it's still kind of haunting you to this day but do you do you find some solace in the fact that like you kind of will probably always be in the old miss like history books or memories just from i mean there's so many people that remember that play like, do you think it's? I, I know it's kind of a silver lining, I guess, but if you, as you've grown older, have you found it that you appreciate it more that, like, I kind of made a play that'll stick in people's minds for a long time?
2: Yeah, because, uh, you know, I kind of think of myself because I went online one day just to see that I have any clips, and that's right. <laughs> one of the first clips to pop up. I said, wow. You know, they, I was like, wow, I didn't even know they even had that on there. And, you know, so. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't think it was going to be a, one of them lasting memories this long. But, you know, it was just one of those games and one of those seasons, you know. I think it could have changed old Miss history, really. And, you know, I think uh, at that time, you know, a lot of guys, you know, play played for Cutcliffe, you know. And it was kind of, I think, heartbreaking after, you know, he left from there. I think, well – a year after Eli, I believe, he left after Eli. Yeah, a year after Eli left, I think he got fired. And yeah, he uh, made
1: it to 04, and they rotated those three quarterbacks. And then I think it, if I remember correctly, it came down to whoever was running the athletic department wanted some staff changes he wasn't willing to make. Man, can.
2: yeah, there was uh, – a Which is honestly, you
1: could go back and argue that's one of the bigger mistakes old missus has made in the last two decades.
2: Yeah, there was, there was, there really was because uh he was a great coach, and, you know, we had a down year. You know, he didn't have no quarterback, you know, that he could go to, you know, because everybody was – it was their first time going to hit the field after Eli left. So, I think that was one of them years where, uh, you know, it was just a down year for us, you know. And uh, I feel like he should have got more time after that, though.
1: What was it like practicing against Eli on a daily basis? Like you were there for most of it. Like you mentioned red shirting and then you play in O2. Like, was there a like a like kind of a watershed moment where you're like, holy shit, this guy's good? What was it like going up against him every day in practice?
2: Yeah, that, like that was one reason I went to Ole Miss, because I I was not an old miss fan coming out of high school. Okay. I was uh I was a Tennessee fan in high school. And uh, I ended up seeing Eli end up going to Ole Miss. So, that, that kind of changed me from going to uh Tennessee that year. And uh, just playing with him, you know, it was one of them so real moments, you know, you get to play with this guy, man, and he's on the next level, you know, everybody talking about him and practice, you know. He's one of them quiet guys. He don't say much, you know. But – you can get into practice or get into a game and you'll see a different Eli. And I used to try to bring it out of him at practice. Really? Because you know, I was one of them players that like to, like to talk junk to the receivers. and <laughs> Man, he used to be like, man, we you shut up? Uh, you know, stuff like that, you know. He was one of them the guys, though.
1: Could you get to him? Like you mentioned, trying to bring that out of oh, him. Could yeah. you kind Man, of get I, him out, get him a little fired? Yeah, because yeah. you know, they the in the day and age of social media, it's kind of like they make fun of like the Eli face, where he looks kind of emotionless or out of it sometimes. Could you get him fired up?
2: Oh yeah, we got him fired up a lot because there's you know, they were doing the time. We was trying to get our defense right going into the season, so practice was that time we got to go against somebody that was good. So. You know, at practice, we're trying to pick him off every time he throw the ball. I don't care what we were doing. It can be walk through, whatever he throw the football. We trying to pick him off and make him mad, get him up. You know, we had them days where you know we made him mad and ooh, he torched us some days. And we had our good days too though.
1: What's uh what's the difference between playing? I know it was practice for you against Eli, obviously. But, like, you as a corner, I think you have as good a perspective or probably better as anyone or just anyone in the secondary would of, like, how – like, the difference between a good college quarterback, like a Matt Mock and an Eli. Like, if if someone were to ask you, like, how did you know Eli was special versus your everyday average college quarterback? Like, what would you say is the biggest difference? Um, just
2: knowing – just knowing the offense and knowing what to do. And – Eli won them quarterback. You know, you just couldn't get in anything and really gonna trick him much because he already knew what you was in, and that what made him so good. But you know, I used to watch guys like Matt Malk and other teams that we play. You know, them guys they stand out on the receivers. You know, stuff like that. So Eli, he was on a different level than a lot of them guys. And you know, I, I that was some of my great years getting to play with him. You know, them them memories I never forget.
1: You had a great career at Ole Miss. And I think if, like, when you kind of go back and look at the numbers, which I was doing earlier today to prep for this interview, you were a really productive player. You were always healthy. You guys had a tough year that 04 year, and then your senior years is 05. There's a coaching staff change. I have to ask, but I was like, because I was still a kid back then, and there was this infamous meeting or this infamous rumor about the meeting when Ed gets to Oxford. What do you mean? Remember about the first time you met Ed? It was Ron? And how true is that infamous locker room meeting where he rips his shirt off?
2: Oh man, you're right on point. That was some of the <laughs> that was some of the dumbest stuff I ever seen as a <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, if I could have left Old Miss at the time, I was ready to leave because I already knew we had made a mistake by hiring him. Like seriously, like our first day he come in there, we hadn't even met him yet. So we all okay. off in the uh we all off in the meeting room, you know, waiting to meet him. Okay. So he okay, the new coaches in there, everybody sitting there waiting to meet him. He coming, he rush in, hollering, you know we looking at him like, who the hell is this? You You probably can't understand what
1: the hell he's saying either.
2: Right. He come in more like a lineman coach or something like that instead of a head coach. And so, you know, he told us, he said, y'all, get up, get up, get up. You know, he made us like he made us clap and cheer for him. Like, really, like he got up and made everybody take their shirts off. Seriously, he made everybody take their shirts off, even the coaches. He made the
1: coaches take their shirts off. Oh, so, so it's a bunch of dudes. What What is that like for the next 10 minutes? It's a bunch of dudes. There's probably 100 of y'all in there between coaches and players with their shirts off. What's the next move from there? What is his end goal with that? That is wild to me.
2: Man, it was like. You know the seniors at the time, man. We were like, "What is going on? What we got ourselves into, man? What type yeah, of like, guys?" Yeah, like who's this fucking got? guy?
1: What's his problem?
2: Yeah, what's his problem? And man, it didn't it didn't stop from there. That was my worst years playing with him. Like literally, so- he didn't know he didn't know anything about being a head coach at that time. <laughs> I'm talking about not anything. I'm talking about he used to cuss the media guys out because coaches out, whoever didn't agree to what he was saying, he didn't care. He didn't care whatsoever. And going into that year, man, he had us like, we never done this with Cook Cliff. He had us practicing two times a day in pads during the summer. I'm talking about hitting, like literally trying to kill each other. Like we hitting for a starting position. Like starting our way over. So that kind of Missed the whole year of going into the year because he was doing some crazy stuff, man.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, that's fun, funny you say that because, I, I mean, when your perspective is better than anyone else's. You're a senior, you know, there's a – I mean, anyone, whether you are playing sports or not, you have a different perspective, I think, on things in general as a college senior as versus an 18-year-old kid getting on campus. So, at that point, like, you kind of know how things are supposed to work. And as you mentioned, he rolls in and does all that. And you're like, what, what is this guy doing? It was the year after you're gone where there's this infamous story where they had a rain delay against Wake Forest. And he uh-huh. supposedly ran a full-on scrimmage during the rain delay. And <laughs> I imagine, I know you weren't there, but I imagine if you had heard that, or I doubt this is your first time hearing it, you didn't right. doubt that for a second. I didn't doubt I would
2: have believed it. I would have <laughs> believed it. For real, like seriously, man. He used to do some crazy stuff. I'm <laughs> talking about wow. I'm talking about he used to shock me. I'm like, man. I'm like, wow. Like, what's we the craziest thing pra- you saw him do? Like, we could be at practice. Uh, I'm gonna tell you, we could be at practice. Like, some of the stuff he used to do. Like, we could be at practice. You know, he never went to the offensive side of the field the whole time. Like. No, you the coaches going to go back on both fields. They're going to go check on the whole team as a whole. Like, he literally didn't give two craps about the offense. All he thought about is getting his defense right. And he was still acting like a, 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 a coordinator, really, at the time. A D-line coach, a coordinator. He was not even close to what a head coach is. So, you couldn't go to that guy for nothing. Like, really –
1: so you're obviously you aren't one of his players, right? So you're inheriting no. this. You mentioned you, I mean, you said it pretty plainly a second ago, if I could have left Ole Miss at the time I would have, how did you make it through that year? Because you know, in the day and age of opt-outs and all this other stuff, like how in the world did you go to practice every day being like, all right, I guess I'll deal with this again. Like what got you through that season?
2: Man, true. Oh, just prayer and hope, man. Just the, just to get through because there were plenty of times during the season. I was ready to leave. I was ready to bounce moments because I didn't like it. I didn't like what they had brought in because I wasn't used to that, you know, seeing, you know, your coach get fired and then they bring in somebody that you you don't know at all. He don't know you. You don't know him. And he come from a conference that ain't even close to what the SEC is. So he kind of brought his, you know, what they did at USC, he brought it to Oxford. To, to like took our names off our jerseys. I remember you know, that. that like he that. made
1: a big deal out of that, right? Yeah. He he wasn't like, he,
2: he he uh
1: he was the name off the jerseys and he wasn't a big jewelry guy, if I'm not mistaken. Is that how much truth is there to that? Uh I,
2: I ain't gonna say because we have guys really just jeered out on our team anyway, right? You know, but he had some weird ways, too, though.
1: What is the – if you if, – if there's one lasting memory, what is the craziest thing you saw him do?
2: Ooh, let me see. Oh, he make. I can say this before the season even started. Okay. Like, <laughs> y'all just don't know. If you go back and look at it, I think maybe the first game – we I don't know how many starters we had out the first game. Like, doing the uh, – the AD had to come down on the field. You know, the AD and the chancellor had to come down and, and stop him, like at practice, because we had guys falling out at practice. Like one day, we had probably two loads of truck going to the uh going to the hospital again. IVs put in the players because he would stop. He wouldn't stop practice like Good he ran God. up. But two practice, two two whole practice, he was like dogging us, and guys were falling out. It had got so bad, the AD had to come down there and tell him, uh, well, the guys can't practice two times in pads. We're going to have to be in shells one period and be in pads. Man, when the AD left, he got us in the meet. He said, I don't give two hells what the AD said. We're going to hit both practice. I don't care. Just you might not hit in the ankles, but we hit. So he made us hit with just the you know, shoulder pads on. <laughs>
1: My God, I, it's funny because, like, he, you know, you've seen the kind of full editor on story happen before and since, right? Like, so, because I imagine you guys, there was no one in that locker room that liked him. Like, that was kind of his Nobody. approach back then. Was everyone was against him, right? There was not one Everybody. guy who, who could go to him, correct?
2: No, it was no guy. Maybe the young guys, the uh, you know, the freshmen, the guys like that. Maybe them guys, because them the guys he wanted to deal with the seniors and players like that. He didn't bring in. He really won. He didn't have nothing to do with him, you know.
1: I'm glad you survived that. I man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. This was an awesome, awesome interview. I enjoyed catching up with you. I guess before I let you go, when you look back on your career, you are a hell of a player. What what's kind of your favorite moment? What do you remember most about Ole Miss?
2: My my favorite moment at Ole Miss, I can say just man just being around a group of guys that I came in with, like the 25 freshmen I came in with, man. We kind of had a great bond, and we still got it to this day. And, you know, some is coaching on a high level now, you know, some of the guys I played with. And, you know, I just look at it, you know, that was one of the greatest times I could say of my life just being over there in Austin because it was real. Every weekend, it was packed. I'm talking about every, it didn't matter who we played you know it was live you know and you'll never forget that kind of feeling
1: what's your thoughts on the program now i they seem to be in a good place lane kind of has things rolling i know there was some instability there but as a former you know i know there's a lot of alumni i mean some kind of get distanced from it but there's a lot of guys and the majority take great pride in it and it seems like it's in a pretty good place right now just kind of what are your thoughts on what lane and corral and all these guys are doing
2: Oh man, I'm I'm loving what they're doing. I keep up with them every year, you know. I'm keeping up with the recruiting, what they got coming in, and stuff like that. Uh, I like what Lane doing. You know, he got he got regroup, uh, good recruits coming in. You know, um, everybody buying into the system. And Matt Corral, he kind of remind me. I ain't gonna say him and Eli the same type players, but they kind of bring that to the team. You know that that leadership. So you know the guys gonna buy into it and. I think we might end up running the tables the rest of the year if we go out there and play right. But uh, just uh, – I can say Kiffin, man, that's one guy I want to meet, though. <laughs> yeah, I want to meet Kiffin. I love Kiffin. I, I'm glad we went and got Kiffin. And, you know, I'd be mad like when I hear like Paul Feinbaum talking about Kiffin going back to USC. I'm like, USC for what? USC ain't worn nothing since Reggie Bush. So, why would he leave the SEC to go back and play for them? You know, I, I don't see that. I, I, I'd rather have that challenge of going against Nick Saban every year than go play in another conference knowing I can't beat the team that's in the SEC.
1: I said I was going to let you get out of here, but I lied. I missed one note. <laughs> you were a legendary shit talker is what I was told. <laughs> right. How did that come about? I should have asked you this earlier, but, like, how, how – what was – give me the art of shit talking
2: man oh man that's i think that's something i kind of had like i always had like from being literally from literally from anything i was kind of competitive in every sports i played so you know and i you know you when you when you're at that age you kind of feel like you're better than the next person sure you you talk a lot of junk but then when you get to the college level everybody on probably about the same playing field you know so kind of I used some of the stuff I did in high school and college because that kind of got a lot of guys out there game, too, you know.
1: So, I kind of used it on the field. Who was one guy you knew you just owned? Like, you were in his head and it was over.
2: Just owned, owned? Oh, man, I played against a lot of great receivers, man. <laughs> I, 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 When I look back at it, you yeah, know, I played against a lot of great receivers. And just one guy that I just owned. I can tell you one guy that – I had the most fun playing against. Go ahead, yeah. And, and that was Michael Clay from LSU.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah, that was one of the guys. I love I I love playing against them. I, I kind of, you know, we got to hearing how good they was. So that was kind of like one of them. I was like, man, I know I can hold this guy. You know, I know I can hold him. You know, they had uh they had uh Henderson too that year. They had Skylar Green. Uh man, they were loaded. With the wideouts, that year. But uh,
1: Clayton being one of the guys, I I I I could I say I enjoy playing against. Yeah, I was just like, did, was there a shit-talking role model? Because I can't remember if you overlap with Fred Smoot, but he has one of my favorite quotes of all time, where two-thirds of the earth is covered by water and the other third is covered by Fred Smoot. Did you model yeah. that game after anyone, or was that your own deal?
2: Oh, uh, like I can say that was kind of my own deal, but I watched Fred, though. I watched Fred a lot. Yeah, I watched Fred a lot. You know, I was like, dang, you know, boy, he used to be out there talking mad junk, (laughs) mad junk, mad junk. So that could, I could do no, but, you know, I had to bite off some of them guys' stuff too, you know. That's the only way I could make me be who I was. So, yeah, I kind of took what I did in high school and, and brought it to college. And that's what Eli said. Eli, we used to be at practice, and I did the same thing at practice, all that talking, yep, yep, yep. But Eli, he used to make Eli so mad. I'm talking about mad, especially if we get getting the best of them. Oh, it makes him mad. I pick him off. I take the football right to him and talk junk to him.
1: <laughs> Man, I can't appreciate this enough. Travis Johnson, Old Miss legend. This was awesome stuff. I, uh, I, there's really not a coincidence. I ended up keeping you like 50 minutes. This was great stuff. And I, man, I really appreciate the time. Hope we can do this again sometime soon. Oh yeah.
2: Anytime, man. Hit me up. Anytime. Anytime.
1: And that was Travis Johnson. I really, really appreciate his time. That was some incredible stuff uh, there, particularly at the end about Ezra was excuse my dumb laugh. I usually try to mute it when I'm cracking up, but honestly, he just threw out so many, just one-liners and uh, ridiculous stories about Ed. I didn't have time to react, so if you could make it through that part of it, I uh, hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, we'll have to do that again sometime soon. That guy was awesome. Uh, here's the preview with Weldon. We talked, you know, a, a lot has been made about the Ed Orgeron saga. Not much, like, strategy or talking ball has been talked about this game in terms of on the field. So we got into that for about 25, 30 minutes. Uh, Weldon will be in attendance this weekend. So if you see him out and about in Oxford, uh, just, you know, Yell at him? I don't know. Just say hello. Actually, don't yell at him. But anyway, uh here is Weldon Rodenberg previewing Ole Miss LSU. All right, we now welcome on uh, pinch hitting out of his normal Sunday slot for a little Friday preview. Weldon Rodenberg, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, here to talk a little bit Ole Miss LSU. I honestly, I, I we kind of always kick around the idea of a preview, kind of seeing what the weeks like, and the main reason I wanted to do one this week, but like with us too, was. I've done, we did the Sunday show. We hit a little bit on the Run situation. I had Brody Miller on, on Wednesday and he had one, had a limited amount of time and I ended up conning him into 40 minutes. And I think I told him 20, but like, there was like the game, the the game was not discussed once. I think we may have talked about LSU's injuries on the secondary or something like that for like two minutes, but no one's talked about the game is my point. Uh, You know, both rosters pretty well. It is, as weird as the storyline is going in with Ed and everything, it is kind of a fascinating game because they did beat a ranked Florida team last week. I don't know what to make of it, but um, you're going there, right? You were headed en route to Oxford, probably as most people are listing this. Uh, you looking forward to it?
0: Yes. Uh, I haven't been back since last year. Um, it'll be nice to just be able to go into the stadium and watch a game as a fan uh, for the first time in what feels like a long time uh it's going to be a zoo i've already heard it's a zoo so i'm excited for it it'll be a quick in and out weekend but um unfortunately i'm sitting in the lsu section those were the uh the tickets i got uh my dad went through lsu just just to get the tickets so i'll be in the lsu section wearing some red but no big deal
1: what's uh that's actually probably a fascinating place to start lsu you would know this better than anyone you know, baseball, the joke is always they would travel to Canada if they played the SEC tournaments there, there instead of Hoover. It's a pretty loyal fan base. And, like, I'm not one that gets into, like, fan base loyalty semantics because I find that kind of tribal and stupid. But when they're this bad in football, this is kind of unprecedented, right, in terms of, like, the lethargy, I guess, for the lack of a better word, uh, surrounding the program. It's kind of aimless for the first time in a while. What do you think the LSU crowd will be like? Do they just travel – uh, anyway, no matter what, they could be 0 and 9. It wouldn't
0: matter. Travel anyway, no matter what, especially for this kind of game. I mean, LSU and Georgia and Ohio State. Those three schools are the best traveling schools out of all of college football, and there's no like anyone else competing with that. It's those three. They have the three biggest fan bases because they're the biggest school in those states with a, a large population. But they'll they'll travel very very well. They'll have their allotted sold out. Um, there won't be an issue. I mean. I, tr- I traveled when I was younger with my family to so many LSU road games. And we went to the Seattle game. We went to Lambeau. And no matter where it was, LSU travel is as good as any program in the country. This won't be any different.
1: It might be a sellout because I saw in the re- uh, one of the recruiting like I think it was actually one of the more like the actual old Miss affiliated recruiting pages or not yeah. pages, Twitter handles, like not some fan, you know, every, you get land shark, 420 recruiter, 69 or whatever it is. And it's like, this guy didn't have anything to do with the university. No, no, no. One of the official university ones appeared to put out an announcement to recruits that like all of the game tickets were sold out. And I don't know what the message was. It doesn't matter. But that sounds like this game will either be a sellout or bordering on a sellout, particularly if the, uh, the LSU allotment is booked up. Because I was like you, I went to the Arkansas game. That was the first time I'd been in the stadium just as a spectator with no responsibilities in quite a while. I think it may have been the fall of 2015 was the last time I'd done something like that. And Ole Miss had a, I got some pushback on this, but I thought Ole Miss had a pretty good crowd for an 11 a.m. game. They, What Arkansas, like Arkansas filled up the seats all the way across the away sideline, but the bottom three rows, I thought that was fascinating. But the top normal away sections weren't full. And those were the only sections of the stadium I noticed not completely full. I just found it odd, but it sounds like it'll probably be a sellout or close to it.
0: Yeah, well, I've thought about this so much. I've seen so much discussion about why Ole Miss struggles to, you know, sell out the stadium and everything. And I think it's pretty simple. Oxford is hard as hell to get to. You have a school with a 50-50 student body. You've got 50 in-state and 50 out-of-state. So once those out-of-state people leave, like I'm in here in Houston, getting to Oxford is an incredible pain in the ass. The flights to Memphis from Houston are insanely expensive, which I'm sure is the same from Austin, from Dallas, from Atlanta. Then there's no shuttle service to get you – I've thought about this a lot, if you can't tell – No shuttle service.
1: The same thing for the first time. That was
0: insane. No shuttle service or any kind of service that's convenient and like readily available from Memphis to Oxford. And then once you get to Oxford, there's no place to stay. So basically, you're counting on sixty thousand people to show up on a Saturday, of which the majority is not coming from Oxford because Oxford's only the students plus maybe at twenty thousand. So Jackson. Tupelo or whatever it's just it, it's a tough it's an interesting dynamic that Ole Miss kind of has to deal with that not many other schools do I wouldn't I just it's not worth complaining about too much from a fan's point of view it's going to be sold out it's a big game games are sold out when they're big games if it's not a big game and you're not good people aren't going to go it's everywhere across the country but just from a personal standpoint I understand it it's hard as hell to get there
1: yeah, I agree. Should be a good crowd. Good afternoon. I saw Romero Romero Miller or someone tweeted that it was like a the list of former players coming back was kind of deeper than he'd seen in a long time. So, should be a big weekend CBS game. You'll get uh you'll get Gary Danielson probably working in Alabama references, Brad Nesler, the whole ball of wax. <laughs> what do you make of this game? Because I was writing today's newsletter, I say today's. We're recording this on Thursday night. Thursdays And with everything that's going on, and we talked a lot about the Ed Orgeron situation and the bizarre, well, we probably know the reason why he's getting to coach the rest of the year, but like how the team would react to that, because it's not like your classic, let's send this guy out on a good note, because basically all the reporting had been, players can't stand him and the coaches don't like working with him anymore. Right. What do you think is going to How do you think LSU is going to show up, if at all? Because they did run for 321 yards against Florida and beat them 49-42, down five defensive starters. Do you think that was a fluke? What what are you kind of anticipating from LSU just from a sheer motivation standpoint?
0: Uh, From the players, it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, for a fact that every game Coach O coaches against Ole Miss, he will do his darndest to get the entire team motivated and ready to go. If they were playing, I don't know, South Carolina this weekend, I'd, I'd see a huge letdown. But going to Oxford, Eli Manning Day, they're, they're going to be ready to play. Um, but it will be interesting to see how the coaches react. Are they going to see this as a, I'm just worried about looking to find my next job, or are they going to see it as, this is my opportunity to prove I deserve another job? Um, and I would imagine these guys are professionals. They're going to come out ready to play. They're playing a top 15 team on the road. It's going to be a fun atmosphere. The players going to be hyped up no matter what. How they respond, they get kicked in the teeth early. That'll be probably a thing to show or a thing to look for. But if they jump out early, I bet you their momentum keeps rolling.
1: That was one of the things I wrote about today. I'm glad you mentioned that. Was, and it's the most like basic, cliched radio guy analysis. I think I may have said the exact same thing on the Sunday pod, but whatever, bear with me. It's like it, if there was ever a game where Ole Miss would – Benefit from getting out to a fast start. Of course, you always want to get out to a fast start. In this situation, given what you have on the other side coming in and what they've gone through over the last week, and really, honest to God, with the way this is snow- the storyline snowballed probably the last month or so, particularly three weeks. If they get up fourteen to nothing, if Ole Miss is able to go stop score stop or some or score, score stop, stop score <laughs> I'm backwards today, it's been a long day, and LSU's down fourteen to nothing. The crowd's into the game. I know vaught is not the loudest place in the world, no. but it is going to be a lot of people in there. Like, it can get lively. Like, Kiffin mentioned that in his press conference the other week. where like, that Alabama 14 game is pretty electric. It's about electric as that place is going to get. Like, what would be the motivation to be like, all right, let's dig this out of a hole, like dig ourselves out of this hole, particularly when the defense has been the issue for LSU this year. It just seems like if LSU gets to the point where they're chasing the game, that is not going to bode well for them at all.
0: I completely agree. Um, The issue, though, is with the exception of the Kentucky game, even though LSU has had a very poor season and has not played well, they have always started fast. They scored first against UCLA. They scored and went up quickly on Florida. Uh, uh, Even Auburn, they were up early and scored quickly that game. They, They have not had issues starting fast. It's finishing games. So if Ole Miss starts out fast, I think it's just a double whammy of this team like, does not play well in the second half. They are as injured as Ole Miss. Uh, they had two guys I said were out today that they thought might play. So, definitely it will be a big advantage if Ole Miss starts quickly, especially since LSU usually does start
1: quickly. Absolutely, and you, we, that's probably as good a transition as any to get to the LSU defense. It's it's weird living in a world where LSU can't run the ball and they don't really play kind of stout defense. It's uh weird times we're living in in that general sense – you know, they lose uh, – they lose Derek Stingley. You lose a couple corners. Um, you know, defensive line's pretty banged up. Although, they've got some talent up front. They've really got talent across the board. I think they're ranked second in the SEC in sacks with 21. I think, of course, George is the only one with more sacks. But you're down four – at least four defensive starters, I would imagine going into this game – When you look at this LSU defense, I know you're familiar with this roster. What do you think has gone wrong?
0: I think it's, it's honestly very, very confusing what has gone wrong with this team, especially when you look at it, obviously losing Ricks and Stingley is incredibly difficult to overcome. Uh, Those two are going to be first round picks Stingley this year, Ricks next year. They're incredibly good players. Um, That being said, the two guys I got behind him, Flott and McLaughlin, are also really good players. So it really is kind of the spine, the spine of the defense and the way they've been playing. They have gotten very average linebacker play and very poor safety play. Uh, The two linebackers, Clark is like leading the SEC in tackles. But I try to tell everybody being a productive player does not mean you're a good football player. That is such a key thing, especially when you're evaluating high school kids and college kids.
1: Is that a little Momo Sanogo ish? Is that a decent example when they were, uh, when he was kind of the only guy out there?
0: Couldn't be a better example. Okay. Truly, truly could not be a better example. Just because you're getting tackles doesn't mean you're that good of a player. And Clark has played better as the season has gone on and so is Bakers, Bakersville, but I, I wouldn't really trade Ole Miss's linebacking core for theirs, which is wow,
1: that's saying a lot. statement
0: you might not ever make ever again when it comes to these two teams. Uh, but what they do have is an incredibly young and incredibly talented defensive line. Uh, they, even though they've lost Anthony and uh, Allie Gay, they've got Mason Smith, who's probably the best freshman in the country, Guillory, and Roy from U-High, and then B.J. Ojolari, who's kind of like their defensive end pass rusher. And they are incredibly, incredibly good. Their biggest issue is that's the four. The guys behind them just aren't the same kind of players. I think they have Glenn Logan back and maybe one other guy. But it's, Ole Miss is going to make them play a ton of snaps. And I think throughout the game you'll see, and as it has been throughout the season for LSU, these guys just get worn down and worn down and worn down because of their lack of depth on that. At least at that position.
1: If you sounded like a second ago, I kind of lost my train of thought as I was going through who was out for LSU. It's because one, it's hard to keep up with the injuries, but this depth chart I pulled up, I wanted to make sure it was up to date and I couldn't figure out if it was because kind of your natural reaction when I pulled it up. I was like, shit, I don't recognize half of these guys. And that's because it was up to date, which probably gives you a good indication as any is where they're at from an injury standpoint. It's funny looking in their secondary. You mentioned the guys they have at corner, you know, behind who they've lost and McLutheran and is good. How to kid flots the same way. It's funny kind of looking back behind it into the second, like the second half of their two deep defensively. And you start seeing some familiar names. If you're an old miss person that follows recruiting uh, <laughs> radar Jones back there. Yep. Uh, outside linebacker, uh, I, I I think I'm going to finally say this right after his recruitment's over. Devonta Hugh Strong, um, back there yeah, too. Bug uh, Strong
0: or whatever. I mean, he has he's barely played for them. He was such a weird take for them. Honestly, it's a to- it's a terrible miss because you can't miss on JUCO guys for LSU. But he doesn't play a whole lot.
1: So that's another thing Brody got to, and I want to get to the corral aspect of this in a minute. But when I was talking to him on Wednesday, I brought up your point of you know I was telling him that you were mentioning that they. You know, the recruiting classes when on February, I guess now it's December, look like that of a you know powerhouse program rebuilding, but they have missed on a lot of kids. And Brody, he didn't have a lot of time to get too far into it, but mentioned that even though it looked good on paper, sometime they were taking kids that other schools of LSU's caliber weren't taking. And I just found that to be interesting. Is there any example that sticks out on top of your head? Do you agree with that assessment at all?
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with it. They, they get a lot of very good players. And if you look through this defense, I think talent by talent and with the exception of linebacker and core, you'd probably take their group for group over Ole Miss's group for group from D-line to safeties to corners. But there are some guys in that roster, you look at – they they basically had a PR campaign last year to try to get a transfer DB, and they found one uh, in that Darrington Evan, Evans kids. He transferred from Nickel State. And he was playing legitimate snaps for them last year and this year, too. Kids should not be on an SEC football field. And that's not his fault. That's LSU's fault for missing on so many guys. Uh, But they've hit on guys, too. I mean, Flott and Jay Ward. Flott's now playing on the outside where he was in the corner. And then Jay Ward's playing at safety. Those weren't even super highly touted guys, but they've absolutely panned out. Those are two guys that are going to be playing in the NFL. So it's, it's like they miss on some of the higher guys and they hit on some of the lower guys and there's a mix in the middle. But when you're at LSU trying to compete for national championships year in, year out, you can't miss on 10 of your 25, 90 or 25. I mean, that will just, your roster will go down and down and down every year. And they're still incredibly talented. They are, but the coaching has been subpar and the misses are starting to kind of pile up, especially with the injuries.
1: You mentioned the defensive line being talented, and that's really kind of been the one bright spot. You mentioned very average linebacker play. They've been had a rash of injuries in the secondary. And I imagine in a normal year, it would be similar to what you're seeing with Ohio State. To where Ohio State looked, particularly against Oregon, incredibly lost in the secondary, second game of the year or whatever it is. They had some younger guys back there. I imagine whether it's Ward or Flaut or whomever picked your pick your fighter, McLluther, there, like they probably got thrown into the fire a little bit, right? A little bit before they're ready. But in a normal year when you don't have the coach fired and the rest of the shit show going on, this is the time of year where you probably figured they started to figure it out a little bit and then they start looking better and can probably compensate for the average linebacker play. But yeah. that's not really what you have. I, I, I guess the best way to ask this before we get to old Miss side of it is like for those younger guys, as talented as they are, how do you, how does LSU the program? Cause there's really no one in place keep them from leaving like does the results on the field this year at all matter how do you keep a Tennessee like mass exodus or can you do anything at all to prevent it I don't I don't see that happening
0: you may get a one or two guys leave I know they had a receiver leave but he the Coy Moore kid but he wasn't really getting on the field so that's not a real issue but I mean they put guys in the NFL every single year whether it's D-line linebacker or DBs Uh, there's not really a huge incentive for these guys to leave. They're going to hire a really good football coach. I don't know who it's going to be. They know that's coming. There's no way they're getting rid of Corey Raymond. And if they do, it'll be because he leaves for another job, not because they don't pay him enough. Uh, I don't see – these guys know they're going to go to the league. They know that college football – yeah, they want to win national championships there. But at the end of the day, these guys know what the main goal for them, at least personally, is. And they're going to get that at LSU. So – I don't see this mass exodus coming like some places like Miami, they might have a mass exodus, but LSU, I don't see it.
1: Other side of the ball, we mentioned the talented defensive on, they do get after the quarterback. They've been okay against the run. They're still kind of in the bottom fourth, but, What did you make of Kiffin's deal with Corral? Because Kiffin had been completely silent on injuries the entire time he's been here, and then all of a sudden he mentions that he doesn't feel great about Corral's chances of playing, and then goes on Twitter and tweets three aggregated articles of Lane Kiffin. My favorite thing he does on Twitter is when he just tweets the headline, like attached the article. He clearly just went to the article and hit tweet. So it's Lane Kiffin's Twitter account, and then it just <laughs> which says,
0: is Which is illegal, technically, by compliance standards. So oh, he,
1: shoot. We'll have to cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> he ends
0: up, no, no. He ends up deleting them, like, literally five minutes after he tweets them. If you go look back, you'll, you'll see that they're all gone. he
1: Um, he tweets lane kiffin doesn't feel great about corral's chances of playing or whatever the hell may be what did you make of that obviously ed didn't buy it i think he had a quote of like smoke screen something like that there's probably some gamesmanship there but i do believe that corral is probably pretty beat up and probably slightly hobbled with the little ankle roll up he had at the end of last week how much do you think that will affect the way they play
0: oh i i have no doubt in my mind that he was hurting on sunday and probably on Monday and maybe even a little bit on Tuesday. But this, this, he's playing in this football game. That's, I don't, Kiffin does these things that some people call him a genius, like just a manipulator, manipulative genius. I really don't know if he's that forward thinking to like create this Heisman campaign underdog story coming back from injury deal with Corral but he does it. And then he sees the reaction. was like, Oh yeah, I can see how that would have worked out. So we're going to just keep on rolling with it. I I don't, I'm sure he's hurt. I'm sure he's hurting. I doubt you see him run the ball 30 times, but he's going to be out there for the first snap. And I think he's going to be just fine.
1: You, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned like the Kiffin aspect of it and why he does it. I tend to think kind of agree with you and I don't know him a quarter or a fifth. I don't know him at all. That's the best way to describe it. But like, I I do wonder, like, what is the end game of that sometimes? And if you look at the arc of his entire career, it's the it's the idea that I think he likes stirring the pot sometimes a little bit. I think he's like the kid, you know, that likes to lob a turd in the punch bowl. He's probably pulled a fire alarm or two in his day as a kid. That, that type of thing. And I think it's probably produced, like, positive byproducts. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. But he's maybe. seen some success kind of maybe intentionally, unintentionally from it. So every now and again, he thinks – you know what? It's been a while. I might have to stir the pot a little bit. I agree. I don't think this is some massive ploy to propel he- Corral's Heisman campaign. I don't think they're going to like start Altmeyer and then have Corral limp out to the 50-yard line, throw a bomb no. at everyone, you know, make a tribute video of it in 10 years. I think he likes sure. stirring the pot sometimes. <laughs> but, I mean, he's not a great poker player. I mean, you can't be silent on injuries for a year and a half, and then all of a sudden be like, oh, that quarterback that's in the morning for the Heisman, don't feel great about him playing this week. It's like, oh, really, man? But... In all seriousness, kind of reining it back in. How, like, if that does whatever the ankle roll-up is, Krause said after the game on Saturday, I just rolled it up. It hurt a little bit. I'll be fine. But if that does affect his mobility at all, I'm not even talking about carrying it 30 times, which I'm pretty confident he won't do. With the way LSU's defensive line can kind of get after teams – that will probably be an interesting thing to watch with the first 10 to 15 offensive snaps of the game, right? Is he able, able – the first time he gets flushed out, what does that look like? That probably will matter some because if he's hobbled slightly, that will kind of change the way Ole Miss probably calls some things in the passing game, wouldn't you think?
0: Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, my guess is is he will be so loaded up on so many shots that he probably will not feel a damn thing, and he'll be running like he has yeah. been. In the previous few weeks, and it'll just delay the inevitable pain towards uh, practice getting ready for Auburn. Uh, but yeah, I'm, in seriousness, you'll have to look at it and see how he's moving around. And uh, I, I just, I think the offensive line is going to have a much better game than they have uh, at Tennessee and they did at Alabama. They, they seem so much more comfortable at home than they have been on the road. And though I, LSU has a lot of sacks, but that, I, they're not real. they have one guy who can really get to the passer and he's very Ozilari very good at it but a lot of their sacks if you watch Florida were just straight covered sacks by Emory just having no idea what to do with the football and that's kind of the same thing they had with earlier games as well so I, I think he's going to be fine I think he will be able to move around and make some plays and uh, they'll be able to contain that rush for at least a little bit but they are talented.
1: I have no idea what Braylon Sanders status will be, but just when you kind of look at this game, how do you view who Matt Corral will be throwing to? Because last week, I think his him running at 30 times was a product of a couple of things, receivers being a big part of it. But I think, well, as you mentioned, the kind of lack of communication and cohesiveness on the offensive line in that environment probably had a little bit to do with it. Are you, I guess, a level, we'll go one to 10 or something. Like how concerned are you about, who corral will be throwing to because you are down mingo i have no idea if sanders will play your guess is as good as mine but got Mm -hmm. a little bit of dennis jackson last week like how concerned are you about his targets to throw to on the outside because it seems like drummond and just hoping someone else steps up it there was a lot of casey kelly buzz this week he talked to the media he sounds a lot healthier that was a guy if i remember correctly you were higher on He had a skiing accident in the offseason. Seems like he's back for that now. Like, Could this be a sort of a Casey Kelly type week where they kind of go back towards the tight end that you saw at times last year? How do you view the receiving aspect of this?
0: It's really my biggest concern going into this game is the matchup between the receivers and their DBs and Corral, because even though they have Stingley and Ricks out, Flott has played ridiculously well since he's moved outside. And McLaughlin is a long really good DB and if you had Mingo and Sanders out there you're just so much more comfortable that you know they might not win all their one-on-ones but they're definitely going to get their fair share now that you had Drummond and maybe Braylon Brown or maybe Sanders and a little bit of Dennis it's just it's a it's a mismatch to where it could have been an Ole Miss's favor and now if anything it's now in LSU's favor so Matt It could be a Casey Kelly game. It could be a Jaron Ely, Henry Parrish, throwing the ball to the running backs a lot of game. It's going to be the biggest question mark about how Ole Miss is going to win. Are they going to win by just running the ball and taking their shots? Because I just don't see them being overly successful throwing this ball 40 times against LSU with their DBs and the lack of depth that Ole Miss has at receiver.
1: With the way LSU's linebacker plays, again – like the, It seems like the the way the running backs fared combined with the offensive line against Arkansas would kind of be just with the doctor order, at least for part of it. I know they struggled a little bit in the second half, but like that type of performance where you just kind of pound them over the head and run them down, wear them down with the run and make them play a lot of snaps. That would seem particularly from a corral health standpoint and what you're working with that receiver, that would seem to be uh, incredibly valuable for Ole Miss in terms of just kind of using all three backs in different ways you mentioned kind of getting them involved out of the backfield i think probably the silver lining or what Ole miss is going to really need to rely on in this game is the fact that they are running back might be the deepest position on the roster certainly the deepest deepest on offense and they're all fully healthy in mid-october i would think they'd have to take full advantage of that i think you'll see the running backs used in a lot of different ways i hate bringing this up because i know people are tired of it there's probably a certain segment of the message board that's probably going to run off the road or whatever they're doing, me suggesting it. But my God, if there was ever a game where the, if the Plumlee package is this, wouldn't it be this? And if it doesn't happen in this game, would you not put that to bed completely? I know things can change and people game plan, but like, if not now, when?
0: Yeah. I don't think you're going to see it. I, I I just don't think so. It, it's I tend been- to agree
1: with you. I just like yeah. the thought, it's worth putting the thought out there one more time.
0: I have no doubt that they'll get him the ball in different ways, kind of as they've, as they've tried to in these past few weeks. But I, you're not, I don't think you see him taking too many snaps, um, unless a p- potential goal line situation. But honestly, Corral is a bigger, better running threat in the, go- in the goal line area than, than Plumlee is, even though he's faster. And it's so predictable. I just, I think they've gotten away from that. I could be totally wrong. I mean, I'm not in their game planning that you could see them, but I, I I think you can put that one to bed.
1: LSU offensively, they lose Kayshawn Butte. And this is really the first week where they, I say, I say they'll be tested. It depends on how Miss Fairs against the run. My point being, Max Johnson got by last week going 14 to 24 for like a buck 30 or something in a touchdown because LSU was just running wild on Florida. And I think that puts a pretty, pretty, Gigantic emphasis on Ole Miss defensively repeating to some degree the performance they had in Knoxville against the run, right? 4.2 yards per rush, somewhere in that neighborhood. Tennessee had to run it 50 times to get to 210 yards or something like that. Yep. If Ole Miss is able to slow down this, I guess you could call it newfound success for OSU running the football, how do you think Max Johnson will fare without uh, his biggest weapon? Because when you look at the statistics, it's not quite Elijah Moore 2019 level, but it's approaching it in terms of disparity. How do you think Johnson, if the game is kind of placed in his hands and he needs to move the football down the field through the air consistently, how do you think he will fare without uh Boutte out on the outside or inside wherever the hell they line him up?
0: Yeah, it really just depends. Uh, they as Crazy as it sounds, and this is just the way LSU is, even without Butte, they've got so many guys playing receiver out there that are young and talented that, no, it's not – you definitely would rather have them, but they've honestly been able to spread the ball out more these past – this against Florida than they have recently earlier in the year. Um, he's a hell of a player, though. But they've got some young guys, Jack Besh and Brian Thomas, Dre Jenkins, Deion Smith, the Mississippi kid, is not playing. I heard that today. Um But it really just depends on how Ole Miss does getting to the quarterback. If Max Johnson sits back there and has time, he's incredibly accurate and he will dice you up. And you saw it against Florida. You saw it a little bit in some other games. The issue with Max is he's got just really kind of pocket presence is not exactly his best attribute. He gets really quick feet. Wants to get out of the pocket. Wants to throw the ball off his back foot and makes a ton of mistakes when he does it. And you saw if you watch Kentucky, this is the worst game he's played since he's been there because they got so much pressure on him and he was so nervous. It's kind of weird because Ole Miss doesn't really blitz and they don't really have not been able to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So if Max is able to sit back there and you're dropping eight, he I mean he will rip you up like he did last year in Tiger Stadium. But if you get to him, he definitely. uh plays much, much worse, much quicker, makes worse decisions. And I think that'll probably be a key. And I, I hope and assume Durkin at least knows that from a small standpoint.
1: You saw more of it last week. It's a little bit of a similar situation, right? And one of the things I wrote about on Monday when talking about Jake Springer after our conversation on Sunday afternoon was, you know, we didn't really have a much of a sample size with Springer, right? He played the opener and then he gets hurt and he's just out. And I think the way I kind of, I framed it if I remember correctly was we didn't have much of a sample size on this kid, but they absolutely look different with him on the field. And we may look back in three weeks and the sample size that matters is the 16 quarters of football they played without him. And so I'm just curious that if he's of course healthy again, and continues to remain healthy, how much, um, more confidence maybe that gives DJ Durkin to be a little bit more aggressive because, and there may not be any correlation here. I don't know enough football to begin to tell you, but the more aggressive they were blitzing Mark Robinson kind of feasted last game, going back and watching that game again, like four, three or four tackles for loss. I think he had a sack and a half in there. I I have no idea if that's a correlation to them being more aggressive and that suiting his skill set. but I'm curious to find out this week, if this more aggressive version of this old Miss defense, and I say more aggressive, slightly more aggressive than the uber conservative way they were playing up until that point, is here to stay as long as number one is on the field. How much of a correlation do you think there is between the two?
0: I think there's got to be one. If you – I mean, if you look at the quarters he's played against Louisville, against Tennessee, is the defense dominant? No. But are they significantly better than they were without him? Yes. And I think you saw, especially on third downs, they mixed up a few things, ran some jet and fire blitzes, it looked like, kind of moved the defensive line and the linebackers. You're going to have to do that against Max Johnson. Because like I said, if he just stands back there and drop eight, he will rip you to pieces. And their wide receivers are talented enough to get open against our DBs. There has to be at least a semblance of pressure on him. And I think Durkin seems much more confident calling some of these more exotic schemes with Springer out there and I think with their running back situation and Johnson not exactly being the most mobile quarterback in the world I think it'll be very much to Ole Miss's advantage to kind of get after him at least a little bit
1: I don't know if you saw this this week I actually just watched this right before you're recording Um, I'm writing in the newsletter I've shied away from breaking down every kid that comes to the podium in the midweek because there's usually just not a lot to break down from it but Sam Williams came to, I think he had media availability either on Tuesday or Wednesday. And he – I didn't realize he was tied for – he's actually solo second in the SEC in sacks. He's only behind Anderson at Alabama. And we've talked about this. While he hasn't been perfect, I imagine you seeing him play for two years up close and still watching it pretty close this year, at least from a consistency standpoint, it has been better than where he was the last two seasons. It might not be quite where you want it to be, but he's been better – but he credited Randall Joyner a ton for changing the way that they watch film. And he gave this really, really articulate answer. And I don't mean that to sound like that as a surprise. It's not a Sam Williams thing. You just don't get a ton from kids in these midweek availabilities about leaners and guys that are back on their feet and their heels and, really credited Joyner for his a lot of his success this year in terms of the way he teaches him the game and the way he's uh, like taught him to watch film and i think he made some joke about how guys joke on the team about him being attached to the hip at Joyner because with joiner because sam williams is always kind of like do you want to watch film teach me this type of that that's clearly from a you know 22 23 year old senior or something you like to hear we haven't talked about it a ton i to, the six sacks kind of stuck up on me what do you make of Sam Williams maturation? I hate to bring up like stuff that is kind of corny and doesn't usually matter, but he did become a dad in the off season. He spoke a lot about how, you know, I realized when my kid came into the world that I could, if I do things the right way, I could help him avoid a lot of the hardships that I had to go through. And I'm just curious for a guy that watched him pretty close up in person for two years, what have you made of his season and just kind of where he is as a player now compared to who he was 20 months ago?
0: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not surprised to hear that he's enjoying and having more fun and learning a lot from Joyner compared to some of his past uh, seasons. Um, Joyner seems like a superstar. He seems like an awesome guy who's able to relate and really trust his players. Uh, Sam has been better this year, for sure. He um, looks more motivated. He's playing a lot more, which is not surprising and good and should have been that way for a long time. He definitely dominates – if he's matched up against a guy that's not up to his talent level, he will dominate he's gonna crush him. Them. He is going to crush them. Like I've said it multiple times, this kid is a freak of nature. From a sheer physical standpoint, he is unbelievable. Um, he has struggled when he plays offensive linemen who are incredibly talented and can defend multiple rushes. Sam has not been a big multiple rush guy, but I'm sure Joyner has worked with him to be like, hey, Speed to power, you know, power to finesse, you know, put in a spin move, put in a redirect. There's so many different things you can do. And Sam's basically just been so athletic. He can just beat guys by just bull rushing, speed rushing. But that's not how you beat the elite guys. And I think you're starting to see him throughout the season understand what it takes. And you honestly saw it a lot in the Tennessee game where he tried out some things. He went past them and came back using the other guys leverage. And it's it's been awesome. He's been a great player. He has, needs to have a really big game. He'll be going up against Deculus a lot, and Deculus is a really good run blocker and a very average pass blocker. So I think he could have a really big night. Um, but he does – the one thing he has to improve on and Ole Miss – I mean, is going to run this counter play with that guards pulling. He's got to be more physical in the run game. He gets flushed out so often because he's so eager to pass rush that he definitely loses gap. They're going to have to make that happen this game, because if you don't, that counterplay LSU-Florida dash Florida with, he, that guard is going to put him on the ground 10 times out of 10 if he's not ready for it. But he's had a hell of a season. He's a great kid He's come from a really, really tough background, which if I think you wrote a story about him. I think I helped you with that when I was. Working I was about with- to
1: say, if I will be a little inside baseball here. You tipped me off on that that year. I yeah. wrote about that in 2019, based on a text message I sent to you. I was like, "What, like, kind of what are we working with with this kid?" And you're like, "Trust me, yeah. like, dig into it."
0: We're working with a lot, because uh, yeah. he is he is one life by where he is at right now. Um, so he's played really well. It's exciting to see.
1: How do you see this playing out? Last thing before I let you go, I think Ole Miss wins by. 10 to 14 points, honestly. And I'm way less educated on that. But I just think they'll play well offensively. And if they get to a fast start, maybe that's overly optimistic. I haven't been accused of that in a while. But I just don't see LSU if they get down by 10 points, really trying to dig out of this bad boy. Particularly if you got, you know, Cajun Ed yelling at him where it's like, who the hell is this guy? Maybe that's just my mentality and why I'm not a college yeah. athlete. But how do you see it?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um Old Miss has beaten LSU, I think three times since, since Nick Saban got to LSU, maybe four times. Uh, I bet they I can name not, them.
1: It's, oh, it's eight? 15,
0: 08, oh, 09.
1: That was the spike, the ball in the uh, spike. The oh, nine was spike. Eight, the ball. Oh,
0: eight, Oh, nine, 13 and 15 are the only times they've beaten them since yep. 2002. If I had that, because that's my childhood and those are the ones I can remember. Cause I was at the spike game and the 13 game and, um, There is, the crazy part about this game is that all of the pressure is on Ole Miss. There is no pressure on LSU, which is very rarely the case. And unfortunately, when that case, when it's been that case, LSU has won this game. In 03 and 14, every time Ole Miss kind of has something going, LSU usually ends up coming and ruining it for them. Uh, going back to freaking Billy Cannon back in the days. just That's just how this matchup has played out. I I don't know what's going to happen in this game. I hate the line. I don't understand why it's nine, but that gives me a little bit of confidence because it seems like everyone's saying that. Like, why the hell is this number so big? I do think Ole Miss wins this game, but I think they are going to have to really play a perfect game. They've got to cut down on penalties. You're at home. You don't have excuses for all these nonsense penalties. I think they're going to have to get a turnover or two, and I think Matt's going to have to play another hero ball game. Um, I think they win. I don't think they cover. But if we're doing that show on Sunday after my flight and LSU wins this game, you're not going to see me surprised. That's just kind of the history, which I know doesn't matter. But at some point, golly, you got to do it eventually.
1: He is Weldon Rogenberg, former Ole Miss Recruiting Specialist, podcast extraordinaire. Looking forward to catching up with you on Sunday, pal.
0: Yep, see you then.
1: And that was Weldon. We'll catch back up with him on Sunday in our normal uh, Sunday marathon slot. We're going to have a lot to talk about regardless of how the game turns out and looking forward to that Sunday conversation as usual. Uh, We're going to bring the pod home now with LB's Greg and our picks. Again, as I remind you, I dropped the ball on some Skybox picks. That is my fault. They'll be in the newsletter, and I'll have them back next week because I know you guys want your winners. And uh, Greg and I, unfortunately, cannot supply this to you because we don't know what we're doing. So here's Greg bringing the podcast home with our weekly Fresh Cuts picks. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones, usually the star of the Friday show. You've got some competition this week, as most people have just probably finished up listening to what was an electric Travis Johnson interview regarding his time at Ole Miss, the uh, famous pick six and then the infamous Coach O uh, shirts off locker room deal. Uh, hope everyone enjoyed that. But uh, Greg, you got a lot to follow up. Maybe we should make picks with our shirts off. I don't really know the next move.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's what I was just about to say. I think I'm about to just rip my shirt off and just tear through these picks like it's uh, like it's nobody's business.
1: Truly, really the only thing that could compete with such a thing. Um, I really was just mesmerized by the entire thing. We'd heard of legends about that story, like Nuggets had come out through the years. There's rumors of him challenging dudes to a fight. But at a certain point, that's what I kind of, Travis Johnson was like, so he gets everyone in the room and he makes them take their shirt off. And now it's just... I imagine between the players and the coaches, probably a hundred, 110 plus dudes with their shirts off. What, what's the next move there? Do you just have to, is it like fight club? Do you have to fight each other? I don't, I've never been in a room with 115 shirtless dudes. I wouldn't know what the next move was. That's a lot of testosterone pumping in there.
3: Yeah. Uh, choose your weapon, you know, uh, uh, would be the next option. I don't know. Uh, Battle games, uh, you know, fight to the death. I have no idea. That's that. That would be weird. I, I, I would not want to be in that room with a, a hundred shirtless guys.
1: Yeah, I guess you just, I guess you just clock the biggest person around you in case there becomes some structural hierarchy and you could kind of take over. I don't really know what would happen next, but uh, that seems to be bordering upon anarchy at that point. So, um, I'll have to get Travis back on and get a follow up about what happened over the next fifteen minutes. But uh, I think they were mostly just mesmerized by uh, Ed being a buffoon, which is uh, probably not a shocker to most. We have some picks to get into this week. I'm going to read Skyboxes at the start, start of the show. And uh, I left my notebook at work that had our records in it. So uh, I'll get at some point, I'm going to tally it up. Maybe Halloween is as good a time as any to figure out where we actually are in the year. But I've come to the stunning realization there's probably not a lot of people coming to us to make money, but rather just the entertainment value. I, it's a hit to my ego, but I guess I can admit it.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, we are kind of uh, trying to keep this show as fun as possible because it is fun. I mean, you know, uh, winning money, losing money, you know, uh, it's it is what it is, but yeah, we're we're here for a good time.
1: Yeah, we're uh, as Belichick says, we're on to Cincinnati, we don't care about what happened last week, so <laughs> no need, even need to go into the records. What a huge weekend in Oxford coming up! I was told I uh, I was originally going to come back for this game, but I haven't been home, uh to do nothing and just kind of watch football and over a month between Arkansas game, couple of weddings, golf trip last weekend. Point being, I just couldn't really make it happen. I every, every now and then you need a weekend to recharge and just kind of sit on your couch and watch some football and not do a whole lot. So I'm not there this weekend, but I've been sent a couple of photos already and have been told by numerous people. Oxford is already a zoo. Uh, give us a report on the ground.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, I
1: went to the library to make sure everything
3: was uh, in order, uh, yesterday and, uh, it's very in order and uh, there's a lot of people in town and uh, you know uh, it's LSU weekend. So you always got to expect that, but uh, yeah, it should be uh, to, to make it nicely. a shit show this weekend.
1: Yeah. You almost wish LSU had a, uh, a little bit better team because this is a, uh, like I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Cause it's not like diminishing the weekend, but like if this were like a top 15 matchup, boy, this would be insane. Like you could borderline, Possibly get, excuse me, college game day coming this weekend, but now you've got this LSU team kind of limping in that they did beat a ranked Florida team last week. And LSU fans always travel well, but I don't know. Just a 230 sellout with a good traditional LSU team would be kind of the icing on the cake.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is, but the Rebs got to take care of business. I know Corral's kind of banged up a little bit, but uh, surely they'll take care of business and uh, move forward and be six and one and
1: uh, head, head to the next week. What's, uh, what's going on before we get into the picks, what's going on at the store this week? Uh, I imagine you guys have been pretty busy. I believe my girlfriend's father made an appearance in the store over this week. He at least texted me and said he was going by, um, what's been, uh, what's been happening, man. You know, uh, I-,
3: I told myself that I
1: wasn't going to run out
3: of anything this weekend. So, uh, we are stocked to the brim. I'm actually going to pick up some more fish, uh, uh, in about a couple of hours, uh, uh, some more grouper, some more snapper and some more redfish. So plenty of fish this weekend. Um, you know, yeah. Lane trains, uh, ribeyes, bone-in ribeyes, uh, burgers. we got it all this weekend and uh, you know, uh, we're going to be open from 10 to two on Saturday. Just, man, it's hard to compete against an Ole Miss football game in the Grove. Uh, so we're all Ole Miss fans and we're going to uh, go enjoy ourselves and uh, go to the game this weekend.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that it really is, is you know, a year coming off the pandemic. One of the things I appreciated about just being back for Arkansas weekend, you know, 11 a.m. game aside, I didn't really that's probably as good an indication as any of just like, I don't know, taking a moment to be grateful and not be like, have it lost on you Is an 11 a.m. game and like I couldn't have cared less. It was just cool seeing people back in the stadium. But and, you know, the Grove and everything like that happening again. But this is if you're there this weekend, I like, soak it all in because this really is about as good as it gets uh sec west showdown mid-october weather's going to be cooler this is about as peak sec kind of old miss tailgate game experience as it's possibly going to get i don't really know how you could get any better it's not too cold yet in november got good rivalry opponent like this this is a hard weekend top now i'm just talking myself into going
3: yeah i mean like i said why play the quiet game whenever lsu's in town
1: you should come up We've got a ton to get into, but go before we get to that, check him out LB's university Avenue across from Kroger. Rippy, if you subscribe to the Rippy rights newsletter, rippy rights.substack.com free newsletter from yours. Truly, you get discounted meat from Greg. I'll let you decide which one's better. Seems like a pretty easy choice. 16 ounce prime strip for 15 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Hell of a kickstart to your college football watching weekend. Not sure. Uh, not sure how you beat that, but all kinds of other stuff, uh, Lane train special uh, still got the Keith Carter special rolling. We still got the two, two different size bacon wraps plays. No, we just, we're just
3: rocking the lane train. Uh, you know, we, we, we thank Keith for, uh, for,
1: for bringing uh
3: lane to the, uh, to the, to the Oxford, but uh, uh, we, we canceled his special. It just, that, that lane that lane train just hits a little bit harder for some strange reason.
1: Yeah. And it would be just sacrilege at this point. Didn't Lane come into your store one day. You can't take it away after he's come in the store.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, his credit card comes in uh, pretty much two or three times a, a week. So uh, uh, he, he comes in a lot. He um, The one time he did come in, uh, you know, we had a line and uh, he kind of nudged the guy in front of, me, in front of him. was like, man, don't don't buy that Lane train. That, that, that's not a good stake. And the guy turned and it was Lane Kiffin. And it was like he's like, oh, hey, hey, coach. So, uh, yeah, no. Uh, Lane train has been an awesome, um, awesome special for us. And, you know, everybody gets a kick out of it when they were like, oh, the lane train special. So, uh, but it sounds a lot better than the $12 bacon
1: wrap filet special. So uh, can't go wrong with the lane train. Yep. Can't really go wrong with anything inside LBs. Check them out. Check them, you know, go get some stuff to grill after the game. It, you'll, you'll be hitting right at dinner time. Maybe you know, leave an old Miss win throw something on the grill and watch the night games. Not really sure how you can beat that. So check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Hey, uh, I hate to be this guy, but it is kind of a weak slate of games this week. But these, this is what I'm talking myself into. There's not terrible games on here. There's a lot of eh, mediocre games. And a lot of times this is when you see some of the crazy results. I used to remember this. Richard Cross always used to say this on radio where it's like, you know, every time you think you're going to get a letdown weekend, it ends up producing some of the wilder results. So for the sake of someone who's going to just going to be watching football and doing nothing else all weekend, I very, very much hope that is the case. We've got some SEC games to get to, and then we'll bounce around to a couple of random ones. You ready to rock and roll? We are going undefeated this week. I don't know what we were last week. It doesn't matter. We are laser focused and we're going to forge onward.
3: Yeah. I mean, as, as what we do on this uh, podcast, we
1: uh, have fun and, uh, Make sure uh, we try to uh, pick the winners and not the losers. There's no 11 a.m. SEC game, so we'll just get right into it. We'll save Ole Miss for last. We'll get into the uh, 3 o'clock window here. Vanderbilt plus 20 and a half at home against Mississippi State. Uh, Vanderbilt actually had South Carolina beat on the road last week. I didn't catch a ton of this game, but they got. it sounded like they got down early. They came back. They had a lead late and really kind of blew it, uh, which sucks because that may be Vanderbilt's best opportunity for an SEC win uh they have a state they're going to have a backup quarterback i believe a booth ken seals is not expected to play in this game so it's mike wright i think it's the guy's name a little bit more of a dual threat guy vanderbilt is plus 20 and a half at home um i'm not just being that guy but i think vanderbilt covers this i think yeah, they don't have the depth these. but i think they play well at home and i think they will certainly cover the 20 and a half i actually expect this game to be somewhat close because this to me feels like a little bit of a uh a a minefield for state here. I know Vanderbilt stinks and if state plays well, they should win the game, but catching them on at home after they played a pretty good game on the road, you know, I don't really know what to make of the air rate, but if you're not going to run the ball down Vanderbilt's throat, then I don't really know. It seems like your odds of creating separation are a lot less. So I'm going to go Vanderbilt plus two and a half here.
3: Yeah. I think that's an easy bet here. I mean, I I love uh, Vanderbilt here. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, you know they put the effort in last week, and you know they came up short. But uh, you know, it, it, I, I like uh, I like a heavy underdog at home, so uh,
1: we'll we'll make it easy with this. Well, my other thing with this one, I, I may have this wrong. I want to make sure. Pull up state schedule. State hasn't blown anyone out. Have they beaten anyone by twenty points this year?
3: No, I mean the L- Louisiana Tech was you know a, a last minute. Field yeah, they were down block. twenty
1: at that point. Like that was the closest thing that we we're we've gotten to. It. They were down twenty.
3: The miracle in Starkville, well, you know, coming back and beating Texas, uh, Texas, I mean, uh, Louisiana Tech, uh, in a fourth quarter barrage. Uh, that's uh, that's their
1: season highlight. So that's pretty awkward. And kind of the Bama hangover. I don't know if that's still a thing with the whole like you know how you feel physically after playing Alabama. They got shellacked last week. I just like I like Vanderbilt in this spot. Um, like I mentioned, I'll read skyboxes off the top. I fumbled the bag on that, uh, which is probably going to shock most of you out there that I did not get something done for the podcast on time, but we're going both rolling Vanderbilt 20 and a half there. I might reserve the right to come back and revisit that as my lock. I would like to see the rest of the slate, um, play out, but, uh, I will reserve the right to come back to it. Next one. Let's just roll right into the, no, there's. Oh, uh, the other afternoon game is old Miss. I knew I was missing something there. Let's just bounce around then. Let's go a 20 and a half at home against South Carolina. You know, we, we both kind of jumped on the Missouri train, kind of coaxed into it by Skybox last week, who had a great week on college football, by the way. They're up, I think, four and a half units. Um, but they did not. They were on the wrong side of the Missouri game. They were expecting a little bit of a hangover after AM beats Alabama. That didn't happen. I definitely don't see it this week. I just think talk about a talent disparity in the athletes. I'm going better. uh, Excuse me, A&M minus 20 and a half. Uh, You know, they could cover this without having to throw the ball once, I guess, is my ultimate point here.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to follow suit with you and agree with you on this. Uh, You know, South Carolina uh, squeaked out a win against Vanderbilt last week at home, and they were double-digit favorites. So uh, uh, just I I just don't think that uh, South Carolina hire, uh, the Beamer ball hire was a – Good hire, and uh, they might be looking for a coach here real quick.
1: Yep, I would, uh, I would certainly agree with that. Although I don't know, like I think they play hard for him. It'll be his whole his whether he'll sink or swim is whether he's actually able to recruit because they need better talent and they need it in a lot of different areas. So I think what ultimately sink or swim Beamer is if he's able to recruit, and I guess that's really too early and kind of remains to be seen at this point. But I do not like their chances in College Station this week. I think a And M's kind of figured some things out. This seemingly would be about the part of the year where they're supposed to get Haynes King back. I haven't seen a lot of the reports on that or if that's even still a possibility, but uh, I remember the original timeline that this is kind of when they thought uh, that might be the case. We'll uh, we'll get IT on that, looking that up. Uh, Let's see. We'll roll over to Alabama, Tennessee. Alabama's minus 25 uh, in in Tuscaloosa, tough break for Tennessee here, losing that game the way they did last week. Kind of ugly scene unfolds. Not that the players really care that much about stuff like that, but having losing the game the way they did and then having to go to Tuscaloosa is a tough task. What uh, what's your lean here?
3: Yeah, I mean, I uh, well, I'm thinking like 45 to 10, something like that. I mean, I just Alabama's just too good, and uh, you know they got the wake up call and t- and uh, Texas A&M, and uh, they're going to have to run the table to get in the playoffs. I'm surely uh, almost wanting to bet that they're not going to – if Alabama wins out, you know, I I just can see Alabama winning out, beating Georgia and then getting in the playoff and then uh, playing Georgia for the national championship for some reason. I just think it's Georgia and Alabama, you know, for them to lose.
1: Yeah, I think they roll here too. Although, you know, Tennessee's capable offensively. I don't – I don't know who they're going to play at quarterback. I haven't looked up what the injury deal is. We're just kind of picking blind here. Uh, but I would hope, I don't think there's a gigantic drop-off between Joe Milton and Hinden Hooker. But I mean, hell, when you're playing Alabama, you want to be functioning at optimal capacity, to say the least. And I think that drop-off will, honestly, could be the difference in the cover. Because if you have Hinden Hooker, he's capable enough that I think they could move the ball and this could end up being like a, like a 41 20 game or something like that. If Alabama doesn't really play particularly well, but uh, I think I'm going to go with you and go with Alabama minus the 25. Chris, I think I saw earlier in the week that Joe Milton is going to play and uh, I just don't see it out. This is kind of the part of the year. Alabama comes off a loss. This is kind of where they roll through the rest of their opponents. You know, I think the iron bowl could potentially get weird, but uh, I just don't see it this week. Uh honestly. It feels more realistic than it has in a couple other scenarios Ole Miss has been in over the years. But, you know, if, if Alabama loses again, Ole Miss controls its own destiny for the West. Uh, again, as we kind of outlined after the A&M game, I don't see how likely that is. But, hell, I mean, you got a puncher's chance in the Iron Bowl. And I would say this is their second best shot to lose because I think, I think Arkansas has to come to Tuscaloosa. And I just don't like that matchup.
3: Yeah, maybe uh, you know Tennessee is uh, driving late uh, for the cover, and uh, the quarterback runs out of bounds on the last play of the game. But uh, in Alabama, covers the covers the
1: spread. That was not the smartest of plays. Credit to Joe Milton for stopping the clock, but it doesn't really matter a ton when the clock is at zero. But uh, yeah, not exactly the headiest play by us, <laughs> built in there.
3: Yeah, just uh, you know, like I said, uh, you you try to win the game, not run out of, out of bounds. Uh, you know, but you know, I, I think that. The Ole Miss defense had everything
1: covered, and that's kind of probably why you had to run out of bounds. That was the most jarring feeling ever with as suspenseful as that game was. I'm about as locked in as you could be to a college football game. (laughs) Um, And then all of a sudden he's rolling out, and I'm like, oh, boy, he's about to throw this. Where is this going to end up? Where is it going to end up? And then as soon as he took a step across the line of scrimmage, it took me a half second to process it, but I was like, oh, this is over. Like, this is how this ended. Even before he was (laughs) tackled and out of bounds. Like, as soon as he crossed the line, I was like, oh, this. Like that's how this ended? That kind of stunk. From a yeah, it was it, good it, for old miss, it, but it was anticlimactic as hell.
3: Yeah. It, they, you could see the cameras like going into the student section and like they, they're like, okay, we got this. We, we got this. We got this. And the next thing
1: you know, he runs out of bounds and everybody's like, no, we don't have this. <laughs> Quite a few SEC teams on the bye this week. We, uh, we, don't have it. I'm not picking Arkansas and uh, Pine Bluff. Just with respect to both, just don't really feel like wasting the time doing that. Kentucky on a bye. Florida on a bye. Georgia on a bye. Missouri on a bye. I mean, how the have, Auburn's on a bye. Half have have the conference feels like it's on a bye week this week. Of course, it's the week I'm going to be able to watch games all day. So that's nice. Uh, let's bounce around to a couple more games before we get to the NFL ones. I'm trying to see which ones I sent Skybox to make sure that we kind of line up on that. We'll go Wisconsin-Purdue. Purdue Purdue goes into Iowa last week and pulls the upset. But if you – I caught a pieces of this game. If you watch and go back and watch some of the extended highlights of it, uh, Purdue just kind of beat them. That was really no fluke, you know, all things come together on the right day. Purdue just kind of whipped them up and down the field. Uh, that Big Ten, whatever the division that doesn't have Ohio State, and it's kind of wide open here. Purdue's plus three and a half. Do you like the Buller makers again, or do you think Wisconsin kind of brings them back to earth?
3: I will say that uh, the Purdue social media uh, did the best tweet of uh, of the year. They uh, they said they beat the number two out of Iowa, which that was – I thought that was a good I saw that. Tweet. That was good stuff. I thought that was a really good tweet. Um, you know – it's hard to come. Uh, I don't know. I I, I just think that uh, I'm gonna go with Wisconsin here. I mean, uh, just uh, maybe the the hangover or or, or something like that on a, of a big win. Uh, but I, I'm I'm gonna just go against the odds here, and I'm, I'm gonna take Wisconsin.
1: I'll go the other way. I'll go Purdue. You know, a couple of years ago, Jeff Brom was kind of like the hottest name in coaching. He was connected to the Louisville job. I think Dan Dockich, which shocker here, stepped in, stepped in it a bit reporting that Brom to Louisville was a done deal. When in fact, I don't even think it was close. Um, and they've had a couple of down years since, but uh, they're, they're not bad. They've got one loss in the big 10 West. I think I wish they'd go back to legend and leaders. That was just great, great content. Um but I'll go Purdue here. I'll, I'll, I think uh, they got they got a little bit of an October run in them, and this is speaking as someone who doesn't know shit about Purdue. So we'll go to the Boilermakers here because uh, why the hell not? Let's see. Got a couple more to get to before we get to the NFL games. Where do we want to go next? There's a couple decent ones in here. Oh, Iowa State minus seven at home against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is getting absolutely no respect from Las Vegas. They beat Texas on the road last week. They're undefeated. I, this is kind of the part of the year where you get into the classic. Is Mike Gundy's team good? What's the deal here? And just getting no love. Uh, I, I guess Iowa State, they're healthier again. They still have all of those guys from that, you know, they were kind of the dark horse pick preseason to go to the college football playoff. They lose to Iowa. They had what? What was the, oh, they lost to Baylor 31 29, kind of ended their chances here um i guess they could still have a shot to go to the big 12 championship game they will not clearly if they lose this game but i'm shocked at the lack of respect oklahoma state's getting at what they're three and oh in the conference they are what overall six and oh okay i just want to make sure i had that right um that could set up for a pretty awesome bedlam game i don't know where that game is this year uh weird team they play really good defense they They've scored less than 100 points on the year, but only allowed 58. That's a staggering number. There's no way that's act- – oh, that's in conference play. I was about to say, there is no way that is accurate. It <laughs> would make no sense. But they're undefeated, and they're plus seven. I'll, I'll ride with Gundy's boys here. I, I I think they might be good. I don't know. I've seen parts of them this year, not a not a ton, but I uh, I think they're pretty good. And I don't think they should be fav- – I mean, they should be a seven-point uh, underdog. They got the Sanders kid at running back who's pretty good or no, excuse me, quarterback. Sorry. I, I can't talk this morning. Warren, the running back, the kid behind him, the other Sanders, uh, not saying Richardson, Jesus, I'm all over the place this morning, but they're not bad <laughs> is my point. I'll go plus seven. I will go. 7 i will i am going to go agree with you. I mean, you know,
3: until, uh, it, it, I just feel like Oklahoma state's the better team. Uh, I know that with that being said, probably Iowa wins by two touchdowns, but, um, you know, you got to give, uh, Oklahoma state a little respect. Um, uh, There was a tweet uh, that I liked that um, it it started out with, I'll make Gundy's mullet longer, you know, for every like 5,000 likes or something like that. And it's just a a tweet of his hair just like it it ended up making the world nap, uh, more nap map. Uh, But yeah, it's a, it's a funny tweet, but yes, let's go Oklahoma
1: state. Yeah. They got that Utah state, the Warren Jalen Warren is a Utah straight state transfer who comes in and has really made an immediate impact for them. I don't know why I kept getting him and the quarterback mixed up, but uh, he's been really productive. They've got a pretty good punch, one-two punch. They're using him and Sanders in the running game. So, I don't know. I just kind of like him. I like him better than Iowa State. But uh, this is the classic take-my-money game because obviously Vegas knows something here and the way to go. You kind of saw it in the NFL game last night. The Browns, with you know their entire roster out, were still minus one-and-a-half. Uh, Denver was obviously the soccer play there. And of course they win the game with Case Keenum and a guy I've never heard of Ernest Johnson at running back, but whatever, take my money. Vegas we will go into my backyard. Here is where I'm sitting right now over in Fort worth TCU coming off a loss to Oklahoma. They kind of fell victim to the uh, early stages of this ridiculous Caleb Williams Heisman campaign. I think he's an incredibly talented quarterback, but shit, this guy's only going to play half the year. Are we really going to do this. Um, they're minus five against West Virginia. I thought TCU had been playing pretty good football up until that game last week. So I'll go with a rebound game here. I'll go to, the, uh, TCU minus five.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be a really good game. I mean, West Virginia is sneaky good too. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, I, I just like TCU at home. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna go
1: with TCU with you. The last one I wanted to get to, I think I sent Skybox a game that was not a game, but whatever, Um, which one do we want to get to before we get to the college games? We'll go one more. Oh, Notre Dame, USC, just for tradition's sake, USC is plus seven. The game is in South Bend. I don't love Notre Dame's like quarterback situation, but I think they're much better coach. I actually kind of love Notre Dame in this minus seven spot here. Yeah.
3: I'm just going to agree with you on that. You know, it seems like, uh, USC is, uh, going to fork out a lot of money to, to, you know, hire somebody or, uh, you know, just uh, – but, yeah, they're on a the super uh, reset button. So,
1: I like uh,
3: Notre Dame to win by
1: two touchdowns. Easy. Ohio State-Indiana was the other one. That actually is a game. I was making sure I didn't send Skybox the wrong deal. It is Ohio State minus 21 going to Indiana. Indiana, as I kind of figured would happen – I think I mentioned this under one of the preseason shows – probably more like a 6-16 six and 16 this year. They're 2-4, had a rough go of it so far. Uh, Do you like the chances for the Hoosiers to pull the upset at home? Seems like Ohio State some figured some stuff out on offensively and in the secondary and are uh, kind of rounding into a team that's actually going to be probably pretty damn good.
3: Yeah, I I like Ohio State. I just, you know, uh, Indiana had their little Cinderella year last year and uh, just, you know, just Ohio State talent across the board is just going to be a little bit too much for them.
1: Tend to agree. That's going to wrap it up for our college slate. You'll hear skyboxes, hopefully at the top of the podcast, if I can get the picks in in time again, that's my bad. Cause that's what probably what you guys come for. And then listen to us uh, act like idiots for 45 minutes. But if you want to make money, skyboxes picks will be <laughs> at the top. Now, as the great Mike Francesa says, we're going to transition to the league where they play for pay uh, another. Uh, it's bye week central. That's kind of the theme. There's six teams on the NFL on a buy in the NFL this week, lighter slate of games. Not the greatest slate of games, but uh, we're going to watch them all and not complain. I can promise, you, can promise you that. So let's see. Let's get into the 12 o'clock games here. Not really sure what this uh, app I have going on, going up. The 12 o'clock games are in the 2 o'clock window uh, on this app that I have pulled up. I don't know what time zone that is, but we'll, we'll fix that afterwards. Um, what's, what's more Eastern than Eastern time, Greg? What, what, are we out in the ocean somewhere? Do you know how this works? London. Uh, that's got to be London in time. Aren't they like eight hours ahead. This is saying the two o'clock, the 12 PM games are 2 PM. I don't know what uh, someone out there who's smarter than I am. Tell me what time zone that is. Doesn't really matter. I'm just getting sidetracked here. We'll go uh, kind of a sneaky, good matchup early on Ravens, Bengals, Ravens after that week one loss to the Las Vegas Raiders have really looked like uh, probably the favorite to come out of that division. I know everyone was high on the Browns, but Baltimore by far and away looks like the best team in this division and then you've got the four and two Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow. Uh, he and Jamar chase is like a top five wide receiver in the NFL. And for as much as everyone loves to dump on the Bengals, they have a bad owner. They don't spend money. They have a top 10 defense and they've added, they added some really savvy free agent signings. Mike Hilton being one of them, they're a top 10 defense with a good quarterback receiver combo. Where are you going here? It's Ravens minus six and a half. You know, the Bengals are a, missed field goal away against the Packers from being five and one.
3: Yeah. I I like the Bengals at home. I like a home underdog. Oh, I I can't
1: mislead you here. It's in Baltimore. I may have said that. Oh, okay. Well, I was about to say, I was like
3: seven points. Uh, Man, I still think it's going to be a field goal game. I think somebody, uh, you know, the field goal will win this game. Uh, It just seems like this, you know, the old school, uh, what is this? NFC North now? I mean, AFC
1: North. Yes. Remember, you had that game a couple years ago where, unfortunately, that was the Ryan Shazier game on Monday Night Football. Ben didn't know the severity of the injury then, but a bunch of dudes. They were just a bunch of cheap shots. I think Juju cheap uh, cheap shot at Vontaze Burfitt, and Big Ben got asked about the way the game went after it. He just goes, that's AFC North football.
3: Yeah, Uh, uh, a typical matchup, but I I like the points here. I'm going to take the seven and a half.
1: I think I'm going to do the same. I like the Bengals at six and a half as well. That's a ton of points. Um, I think the Bengals are good, and if you know if they are actually good, I think this is the week where the defense proves it and kind of keeps them in the game, because Lamar uh, in that offense looked pretty, pretty, pretty good um, throughout the last, I would say, five weeks after week one. Uh, they've had the year from hell injury-wise, too. They lost Ronnie Staley on the offensive line, too, this week. The hits just keep on coming, and that line didn't really move. So uh, I kind of like the Bengals based off that as well. Uh, Panthers-Giants, this is in the Meadowlands. Danny Dimes, I believe, is back. This is a disgusting game. Panthers, minus three on the road. They, I thought they were good the first three weeks. Now it's clear that you know maybe there was a reason that Darnold didn't have success in New York other than Adam Gase. I think he's okay. But, man, when he plays against good defenses, particularly when there's a pass rush, um, he's been – honestly, he's been bad, like really bad. They lost to Kirk Cousins at home last week. Uh, to me, this is a stay away central. Of course, we don't do that on the show, but uh, I, where are you going here?
3: Uh, I'm gonna go with Carolina. I mean, the Giants are just uh, a disaster. Uh, you know that. I think the, uh, didn't the Rams put on beat them by twenty last, last like thirty eight
1: to eleven? It wasn't close.
3: Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, just gotta press the reset button and uh, at, at, at the Meadowlands. But uh, you know, you know, Carolina did show some character and came back and uh, and lost in overtime. So uh, I, I'm gonna go with Carolina. Just uh, just a weird pick here.
1: I'm, uh, I'm actually with you on that as well, just from the standpoint of uh, I think the Giants are a mess. I think Matt Rule is still a good coach. I think the uh, Panthers' defense is better. I imagine this might be the week when they get Stefan Gilmore back. I have to double check on that one, uh, but I think so too. I think they're just better coached. Uh, my Tennessee Titans had a gigantic win on Monday night football against the uh, Buffalo Bills. This past week a win they really needed because of who was coming into town the next week and really a much maligned defense kind of bowed its neck and got to stop when it needed to Uh, shout out Jeff Simmons what an incredible play on that quarterback sneak. I don't know if you saw that but fourth and inches with a six foot five quarterback and Jeff Simmons was like no sir uh, and ended the game that was pretty impressive stuff they are hosting the Kansas City Chiefs Titans on a short week it's Titans plus five at home. Call me a homer, but I actually love the Titans in this spot. I just don't think Kansas city is that good. I think they'll probably be fine and figure it out come December, but the defense is really, really bad and is forcing my homes to kind of do one or two really dumb things per game. I like the Titans in this spot plus five. I'm going to lock this. Yeah,
3: I like it too. I mean, uh, we're sitting here agreeing on everybody on each one of our picks, but, uh, You know, I'm I'm going to usually a
1: dangerous sign.
3: Yeah, that is a very dangerous sign. Uh, With that being said, I'm going to blame Jackson Mahomes on on this. Uh, I think that uh, he's bringing out the bad in his brother. And uh, so with that being said, uh, I I like the Titans. And I actually uh, think the money line would be a good play right here.
1: Yeah, so what's the deal with that guy? I saw that he did the TikTok dance on Sean Taylor, where they had the paint, uh, the Washington football team had like the Sean Taylor number painted on the field. Is he just, I hate being the guy that dumps on the younger generation, but is he just your typical Gen Z celebrity because he makes cool videos that I don't understand?
3: Yeah, I mean that. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I would call that shithead, but uh, that's just. Uh, well, yeah,
1: it's about to say we used to have a term for it back in the olden days. Good
3: call. <laughs> yeah, uh, shithead is uh, what Jackson Mahomes is. And, you know, man. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, who cares if your brother's famous and owns uh, owns a major league baseball team? But with that being said, you know, you got to stay in your lane. Uh, so, obviously, he doesn't know anything about staying in his lane. So, with that being said, I just like Tennessee money line here.
1: Here's a gross one hold your nose for this. The Miami Dolphins are hosting the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Miami's having just a terrible year. Seems like Tua, I know he's been hurt, but I was actually a little bit more bullish on Tua with a new offensive coordinator this year in the preseason. And that really just has not come to fruition. They're kind of a mess. Preset's been even worse. I think two is going to play because he played in the London game. Atlanta minus two and a half. Do you really trust Atlanta as a road favorite, but at the same time are you putting your coin on the Dolphins? This is – I mean, the Dolphins just allowed Urban Meyer to get his first win. Granted, it wasn't on American soil. London game last week. What a disgusting game. Uh, where, where are you going here?
3: Yeah, I think this is where you, um, you have a dog and you let him pick the game for you, you know, put the bowl of uh, – of uh, food in the, for the Falcons. Like that idea. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, you know, what's funny is uh, I think I read a tweet the other day that uh, they should start out the uh, the first week in, uh, in London, and whoever loses
1: has to stay until they win. Oh, I like that idea. You could do that with the Dolphins and Jags.
3: Yeah, just put the Dolphins and the Jags and maybe Houston Texans in there too, you know, and just literally – you know, have like a battle royale Who who can stay in London the, the longest. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go with Tua and the Dolphins. Uh, let's, uh, let's go with a home underdog. How about that?
1: Yeah, I, I can't quit the Falcons, but I'm not going to do it. I'm actually going to go with you. I think you just roll with the uh, – I think the play here is actually probably just to roll with Dolphins' money line and hope. Yeah, uh, just th- this definitely um, uh, recalls a lot of hope in this game. Yeah, I'm actually proud of myself. I didn't go with the Falcons. That's a that's a real, real sign of growth on this show because uh, that's right in the Falcons' danger zone where it's like, oh, Matt Ryan, Kyle Pitts, they're pretty good. Let's go minus two and a half. The Dolphins suck. And then you flip on your television and they're down 20 to three in the second quarter and you're like, what, what the hell? Um, boy, this is another great one here. Uh, Patriots hosting the Jets. This is already their second matchup this year. Uh, is, is Belichick going to completely break Zach Wilson's brain? He didn't this was the five pick game early in the year. If he throws five more and he has 10 interceptions on the year against one team, don't you have to retire? I, 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 I think that's a rule. I'll have to look that up. We'll get the, uh, our research folks on that one. Patriots minus seven at home. This one's easy for me. Pats minus seven. I don't even think the Pats are good, but Belichick hates the jets. He owns the jets and they have a rookie quarterback that's, if, if you're wagering on the jets here, I'd like to know what, why?
3: Yeah. I'm going to go with the Patriots too. <laughs> you know, we've, uh, I don't think we've disagreed on any of these picks yet. So it's going to be really bad uh, week. So, uh, tune into that, but yeah. Um, you know, you, you just think that Milichek will, will figure it out eventually or something like that. But, um, you know, Matt Jones might not be the answer, uh, but who knows? Uh, it's, it's hard to tell and it's hard to, um, you know uh, make that decision off of his first year
1: Washington football team last early game going into Lambeau field they're plus seven and a half seems like the jigs up a bit on Taylor Heineke um, the defense has really been exposed is pretty overrated uh, this is uh, so I'm not as bullish on the Washington football team as I was maybe a couple of weeks ago when they stole that game in Atlanta uh, the Packers do they ever play anyone good? It seems like they can just beat up on these terrible teams. With that said, I think they're going to do exactly that. This seems – I don't like taking more than touchdown favorites, but uh, Rodgers is going to crush them. I think Packers minus seven and a half here.
3: Yeah, um, again, I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh, so, uh, I like the Packers too. And, you know, man, that uh, Aaron Rodgers that, you know, I, I own you, you know, I always own you after that touchdown uh, to the Bears. I mean, you know, Bears fans probably did and
1: appreciate that. But, you know, sometimes the truth hurts. I don't like love everything Aaron Rodgers does, but what a boss move! I love that.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, he did the the championship belt, you know, uh, thing, and then turned around, and he's like, "I own you." That's great. And I think the, they even changed the uh, the Chicago Bears Wikipedia
1: page to uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, being the owner. That would be more competent ownership than they currently have. Let's see, late games, late window, probably. Partially, definitely, I'm just scoping it out as we're talking here, not a much better, but whatever, we'll persevere through it. Here's a fantastic one to start off. Lions going out to uh, LA to face uh, the Rams. Jared Goff reunion bowl. Uh, it's Rams minus 16. <laughs> minus 16. Good God. Uh, man, I can't. Do you, so there's another one that's a gigantic line that we'll get to in a second. I think you have a 17 and a half point line uh, in the Texans Cardinals game. Do you, are you disgusting enough to do a, a, a just disgusting teaser and tease the Lions to 23 and the Texans to 24 and a half and just ride to that an NFL team's not going to lose by that much. I think the answer to that is absolutely not, but uh, just an idea to throw out there. Rams minus 16 at home. I am actually going to go with the Lions here. Uh, They've been competitive in most of the games they played. The wheels kind of fell off for them against Cincinnati last week. Uh, There's been some benching Jared Goff buzz. I don't think he's the long-term answer there. I think that's pretty clear. But uh, I think they'll keep this competitive-ish. 16 is a lot in an NFL game. I'll go Lions plus 16.
3: Well, I I, I will say that the trade of the century would definitely be Stafford for Goff. I mean, if you're a Rams fan uh so with that being said, man, I think, uh, I think I saw a tweet that, uh, there was a w- receiver that w- I don't think they had 10. He was 10. There was not a defender 10 yards around him and golfed it and threw it to into double coverage. So I, th- I just think it's just been a bad move. I, 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 I say, I'm going to say Cooper cup just goes off and, uh, it, it, I think it's a, it's a 20, to, 20 uh, three touchdown game. I'm going to go I'm going to disagree with you finally, and I'm going to go with the Rams.
1: I was hoping you would disagree with me finally, and it's only fitting that it comes on a 16-point line. Probably the marquee game of the afternoon. No, that's actually not true. The next one we'll get to is. uh, But we get Raiders minus three against the Eagles. Raiders, we were all over this last week. We don't get many right, but uh, Raiders being plus five in Denver last week after the John Gruden thing, uh, we were kind of on the train of – professional football players don't – care about that like they it probably it's a little bit of a distraction but at the end of the day they show up and they do their job and uh, Las Vegas was just way better than Denver and they kind of kicked their ass in Denver uh so I actually think the Raiders are I think they're a good team they have some weeks where Carr when he goes up against elite defenses it's like uh, is this guy actually good but I would not classify the Eagles as such I love the uh, Vegas Raiders here minus three at home I'm gonna lock it as my second lock
3: yeah, I'm. I'm gonna lock it up with you. I, I like the Raiders, and uh, you know, uh, I doubt there's going to be a hundred guys taking their shirts off uh, in a NFL uh, in a locker room and like like you were like Travis Johnson was talking about. Uh, so, with that being said, uh, I, I like the Raiders a lot, and I'm, I'm gonna lock it with you.
1: Yeah, I just don't. I... If the Eagles, why do I try Minshew? If if Hurts continues to regress, like the the fact that like the Steelers or someone like the Steelers have a good team and they have a horrible uh, quarterback who's really just I mean, he's not an NFL quarterback anymore. I don't understand why you wouldn't trade for Minshew and just like try that out. I think Minshew's good. I don't understand why some team with the terrible quarterback situation, but a decent roster hasn't traded for him and just been like, hey, get us to this year. and We'll kind of revisit things at the end of the season or get us through this year, I should say. So maybe some Minshew buzz in this game. Who knows? Uh, But I kind of agree with you there. Uh, Here's an interesting line. I don't know. Something's got to be up with this. Tampa Bay is minus 12 at home against the Chicago Bears. Uh, But the Bears have looked pretty good. I don't love Matt Nagy, but Fields has looked pretty good. And ever since he's been uh, inserted as the permanent starter, I am not sure they've lost. I know they've lost with him as a starter, but that was still when Nagy was doing the whole. No, sorry, they lost to the Packers twenty four fourteen last week. I don't know what I'm talking about. I still think they're good, though. Um, I think this is too many points. I'll go Bears plus twelve here. I, something's got to be up with this line. Are they really twelve points worse?
3: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm gonna have to agree with you on this. Uh, I think uh, you know the, uh, the 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 the, uh, the uh, Buccaneers. They really they haven't been covering, and they've just been winning and uh, winning really ugly, but. Um, I, I see this being a you know a, a touchdown to
1: field goal game. I mean,
3: this would easily be a 10-point game.
1: Yeah, I, I, so, I don't know. I'll have to read some more into that one because I, I didn't understand why that line was the way it was. Uh, here's the uh, not the marquee game of the afternoon. I can promise you that. Uh, Cardinals minus 17 and a half, trying to get to 7-0 and 0 on the year against the lowly Houston Texans. I'm guessing, not that it matters a ton, it's going to be Davis Mills and not Tyrod Taylor again. Uh, the Texans were like frisky for a couple of weeks, but man, they do so much dumb stuff. The coach, I don't really understand what he does uh, every week. Uh, he seems like he just kind of like gets there and like, all right, we got, you know, we got to be here for three more hours. So let, let's, 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 uh, let's wreck some shit while we're here. Like he just kind of coaches with some reckless abandon, which is not good when you're a bad team uh, Cardinals minus 17 and a half. I have no idea what to do with this this is a stay away times 10 but I guess I'll go to the Cardinals I can't believe I'm laying 17 and a half but man they they didn't have their couple coaches last week and just went and absolutely crushed the Browns in Cleveland that this might be the best team in the NFL uh, behind the bills yeah I, I agree the the cocaine Cardinals are on
3: fire you know they uh, they get they come out the bag and they uh, come on, on you know, early and often so. I'm going to say 45, uh, 45, 14. So why not the, uh, the cocaine Cardinals?
1: Yeah, I did good. God, I God help you. If you're locked into that game, hoping to climb out of a hole or something Sunday night game, I could see how this one was okay when they selected it, uh, I guess before the season, but Niners minus four against the Colts. This actually could be an interesting game. I don't think the Colts suck per se. They would really, that, loss they blew in Baltimore where they were up like twenty-two to three or whatever it was, and blew it late in the fourth quarter. It was just a crushing defeat. I don't think they're bad, but I don't know what to make of this game. It's Niners minus four. Is Jimmy G going to play? I'll look that one up real quick. While uh, what, what's your lean on this? Niners minus four against the Colts at home.
3: Um, uh, man, you know the Colts run the ball really well. They've had a, um, you know, a couple
1: tough, tough. Tough two weeks. Um, He's playing. Jimmy G's playing. I just want to make sure we got that out there.
3: Well, uh, mm, I'm going to go with the Colts. I'm going to go with the Colts. I'm uh, going to take the Colts on this one.
1: I don't really know why either, but I'm also going to go with the Colts. And I guess I'll lock it because we only have two games left and I've used two locks. I know you don't have to use all of them, but for whatever reason, I have a sneaky suspicion about this game. And I really actually can't even tell you why. I just like the Colts. Yeah, Um, I
3: mean, you know, just traveling to the West Coast. uh, They might be good on the West Coast versus the East Coast.
1: Sunday night game, Seahawks plus four and a half hosting the New Orleans Saints. Um, This game, I think, has moved a lot. I think this game started at New Orleans minus one and a half. It's Jameis Winston versus Geno Smith. So hold on to your butts on that game. Two, I really love the Saints. I think it's too much, but I'm still going to go with the Saints anyway. Uh, I just, I don't know. Gino looks competent for like two quarters, and then he does something where it's like, what the hell is this guy doing? Uh, this is an absolute must win for Seattle, though. <sighs> I'm sticking with the Saints. This, the Seattle season is toast if they lose this game. They're trying to tread water till Russell Wilson gets back, but I still think I'm going with the Saints. I just think they're much better.
3: Yeah, I mean, the Saints coming off a bye week where, you know, they probably um, got some, you know, got some people healthy. And uh, I don't know if Mike Thomas is playing this week or not. But, uh,
1: yeah, I just like – I like uh, teams coming off the bye week. So, I'm going to go with the Saints too. That is all of our picks this week. That's week seven in the National Football League. This continues to fly by. I appreciate the time as always my friend and uh, we'll be back in the same spot next week. Check him out. LB's university Avenue across from Kroger. We will uh, holler at you soon, Greg.
3: Thanks man. As always.
1: And that's our show. Really appreciate you tuning in. If you made it to the end, you're a real trooper. Uh, another long Friday podcast, but Hey, I wanted to give some content for the people. Maybe you got a long drive to Oxford. Maybe you're headed to a wedding. I don't know. Maybe you're just bored at the office. Just wanted to entertain the people for a couple hours today. Appreciate you listening. Uh been cool to see this podcast grow interacting with some folks along the way. And uh, I'm certainly very, very appreciative for where this has gone in a very short amount of time. So hopefully everyone has a great weekend. If you're going to the game, be safe, enjoy it. It's about as good of a weekend in auction as you could possibly ask for. If you're elsewhere, uh, have a happy, safe and happy weekend. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And we will catch you on Sunday night.